And the Oscar goes to Spotlight. I know there's things you cannot tell me. But I also know there's a story here, and I think everybody will hear about it. Do you think your paper has the resources to take that on? I do. Do you? The Boston priests molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Spotlight. Guys, listen. Everybody's going to be interested in this. Obviously, the church will fight us very hard. I'm trying to get some background information. I don't want you recording this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. We understand you've settled several cases against the church. I can't discuss that. There aren't any records of any of these settlements. Nope. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, and when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. How do you say no to God? Spotlight. This is the tip line. You think he's got something? I want to keep digging. We need to focus on the institution. Show me that it came from the top down. They'll try to silence anyone who speaks out. You leave me alone, you hear me, goddammit? 6% act out sexually. 6% is 90. 90 priests. If there were 90 of these bastards, people would know. Maybe they do. You're going to give me the names and the names of their victims. Are you threatening me? I was doing my job. Yeah, you and everyone else. I am here because I care. We're going to tell this story. We're going to tell it right. I can't believe I'm hoping we can keep this between us until we all get on the same page. Is that why we're here, to get on the same page? We've got two stories here. A story about degenerate clergy and a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child abuse into a cottage industry. Which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one of them. I'm not crazy. They control everything. This is not just Boston. It's a whole country. It's a whole world. They knew, and they let it happen. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. Shama people, and welcome to our 88th episode of Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where we travel through time, reviewing the films that earned their gold statue or standard, if you will. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me at the Gold Standard Theatre are my two podcasting partners in crime. On one side, the professional nerd herself, Rachel Friend. Hey, Rachel, how are you today? Um, I really wish I had like a big pile of Halloween candy right now. <laughs> i could use uh, a couple dozen Reese peanut butter cups at, l at least i guess some trick-or-treating is in order then yes <laughs> <laughs> i'll walk around on my knees so it looks smaller <laughs> there you go but hey i guess trick-or-treating is uh is a timeless thing so no matter how old one is one can always go i suppose I'm, I'm right there with you i mean i love the candy we started to celebrate halloween over here because Everything ends up over in Europe as well. But uh, yeah, and I've definitely seen at my local supermarket, all the chocolates are out, all the sweeties are out and everything else. Like, yeah, nice. Quality street. Nice. I'm taking this home. I'm not giving mm -hmm. it to the kids. It's mine. So uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's how I feel. And of course, on the other, the Ghostwood girl, Zan Sprouse. Hey, Zan, how are you today? That reminds me, I need to go shopping for Halloween candy. And uh, 
my plan is usually to buy more than is necessary because then it then I get the leftovers, which is <laughs> almost as good as trick or treating because then you get to pick which kind you want. Very well said. Yes, my father is already really concerned about. It. He's like, not those bloody kids again. I'm like, Dad, I don't know. They probably <laughs> will because it has come to Italy too. So it's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, my dad's become kind of the guy of get off my lawn, you kids. So that's, oh. that's him. <laughs> this is just the this is just the kickoff of from now until really Valentine's Day, where we just eat a whole bunch of shit that's just not good for you, but you don't care because it's like it's getting cold outside, so you want to yeah, like, not even know, feel like it cozy doesn't even end stuff, on Valentine's so. Day for me. It lasts through Easter. Yeah, because we get wonderful Easter candy here. Tell your dad, Nick, that if he doesn't want the kids to show up, what he should be giving out are mini toothbrushes. They'll never come back to your house again. Well, interesting enough, his neighbor is a dentist, so that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Some people would always give out mini toothbrushes and stuff for Halloween, and we just learned to skip those, skip those houses. <laughs> I, I will share that advice with him. And uh, folks, that laughter that you heard is, of course, uh, a fellow uh, podcaster returning to the Gold Standard Theatre, our very own Texan, Jesse Jackson. Hey, Jesse, how's life treating you? And welcome back. Thanks. I am thrilled to be back. Looking forward to talking about a very interesting film. Uh, want to thank you guys for the very kind invite. Um, and yes, here in Dallas, Texas, we are feeling good about our Texas Rangers. Uh, as we're recording this, the World Series starts this weekend. And after a long delay, we are um, we are going to get to uh, perform. So I'm very excited. Well, that's awesome. You know, and congrats on your Rangers indeed for making it to the, to the World Series. That's fantastic news. Always happy to see uh, a fellow a sports fan, you know, seeing his team do well. And uh, speaking of teams, guys, today we are reviewing Spotlight, directed by Tom McCarthy, who co-wrote this film with Josh Singer, while the score was provided by Howard Shaw. On estimates print day's money, this movie cost $25 million to make and made $129 million at the box office. It premiered over here in Italy at the Venice Film Festival on September the 3rd of 2015 and was released to the general public on November the 6th of 2015 and has a runtime of roughly two hours and nine minutes. So, Jesse, starting with you, what are your general thoughts and impressions on Spotlight? I remember I did not see this in the theater. We saw it maybe like even a year or two later where um, I said, oh, yeah, that's right. And my my lovely bride is fascinated with murder porn and any dark, you know, storyline. So she jumped in immediately to watch it. And when I needed to rewatch it for this podcast, she watched again with me. Um, I, I think this is a great film. I think it is an all-star cast. There is so many great, you know, moments where you go, that can't be true. And it is. That really? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And it, in a way, it's hard to call it entertaining because it's such a dark, dark subject matter and an embarrassing subject matter. But the the writers and director 
did this right as in um you know where you it's a mystery right and they're unwavering this mystery and then the subtext is how they're kind of like especially the michael keaton character beating himself up because why didn't i know this before you know and then you one of the things that really really strikes me is well i did send you this we did tell you this and the idea of you put a blind eye to this because of the church um just just absolutely wonderful and of course we're going to get to them but you know i've loved michael keaton beetlejuice and you know you know the mom i can't i'm drawing a blank on you know the the mom mr mr mom and then of course you know he's this generation's first serious batman and to see him doing such a great role um shows kind of what he can do later uh when he um you know did the mini series about the uh oxy right that was absolutely a fascinating so yeah uh, a very entertaining yet disturbing two hours that i'm thrilled that i'm going to get a chance to talk to you about it well we're very very happy to have you on board today indeed jesse and zan what did you make of this one um, I'm with Jesse too about Michael Keaton. I, I love that we've gotten to talk about him twice in a row, and I wish we could talk about him every every time we talk. <laughs> um, he's really wonderful in this. Everyone's really wonderful in this, and I think everyone involved in this movie understood the gravity of what's going on in this situation. And like I like I said before, I I I love movies like this one or The Verdict, where the Catholic Church gets what's coming to them. Um. And because this is the Boston Globe, I mean, it's not the Washington Post and, you know, it's Ben Bradley Jr., not Ben Bradley. <laughs> it has a bit of a feel of and all the president's men, but it doesn't have the same tension where where all the president's men, you feel tense throughout the whole thing, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. This one, it's just this feeling of uh, everyone's just in shock. That instead of this this tense situation, it's like the tension is coming from, are we going to keep our jobs? Because it's 2001, they have, you know, they have a new boss. Are we going to keep this part of the paper? Is it going to stay the, you know, you know, we're losing readers because we're losing readers because the internet is a thing. Um. So I think that's where a lot of the tension comes from. But I think a lot what, what goes on with the subject matter of, of this is, are you kidding me? Or what, how did this happen? What, how did we let this happen? You know, how did we, and, you know, like Jesse said, Michael Keaton, especially, he seems so out of the loop on this, even though people tried to bring him into the loop. But then he also seems like he has survivor guilt like so many of our main characters here especially our entire spotlight crew they all seem like they have survivor guilt like how did this not happen to me how did i miss it how did i get lucky how did i you know even um what's his name i can't think of him being like do not go to this house and you know i, I love him hand delivering one of the papers to that to that priest's house when it when it comes out he's like you you mf or you better read this effing paper um that everybody's just so 
so incredibly shocked at that that this can happen. First of all, that it did happen. Second of all, that it has been allowed to happen. And then third of all, how this could bring down a city. You know, Boston is an incredibly Catholic town. And just how everybody is like, are we going to still have readers? Are people going to believe that, you know, this is, you know, you know, you're supposed to have separation of church and state, but when you have a city like Boston, where the church is such a huge part of everyone's lives, no one knows what to do. You know, it, you know, everybody, like, like I said, all the president's men, everybody knows that the president shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> and there's this real sense of urgency to let everybody know that this is going on and that this is that this is a crime but like so many of these victims say in this movie to have the priest pay attention to you is like having god pay attention to you and that being so twisted and perverted is so incredibly hurtful and harmful and painful that nobody even knows how to react you know that the, there's <laughs> There are places in this world where the Catholic Church seems untouchable. And, it, you know, big towns with, with large Catholic populations like Boston is one of them. And it's hard to believe because you don't want to believe it. And then you want to believe anything that is going to keep your faith from shaking. You know, if you lose your faith, what else do you have? And the that feeling permeates this movie so much that... For as ghoulish of a subject as this is, this movie stays, you know, with that one exception of Mark Ruffalo having his having his blow up. Um, this movie stays very even keeled and everybody really keeps their heads about them because they are really internalizing. How does this how does this happen? How did this happen? How did we not know? How did nobody stop it? And how are people how are people who are supposed to stop it allowing it? And just every this entire movie just leaves its its entire cast and its entire audience just slack jawed in like what the hell do we do now? And they do what they can. They do what they can by saying, "Hey everybody, here's what happened." And you know the first step into dealing with it is not hiding from it anymore and this this is the story about how we stopped hiding from it and th this continues to come out you know this is you know it came out on the grandest scale with this story you know 20 years ago but it continues and we are not tolerating hiding it anymore and so this this movie's great in the fact that it's an incredibly necessary story and we tend to forget news Sometimes, especially when we live in a dumpster fire of a world and every day is bad news. Um, which is why I think movies like this are so necessary because they remind us of things like how we felt when this happened and how we can't let this kind of thing go unnoticed. Very well said indeed. It looks like it's going to be quite the week for us because today we're doing inappropriate behavior of the clergy and on Sunday we're doing drug trafficking in the USA. So quite a lot of things going on when it comes to, unfortunately, all the problems that plague this planet of ours. And Rachel, I know you have thoughts on this movie. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> so 
I watched I've seen this movie before. I watched it four or five years ago, I think when I was in the middle of watching. I was trying to watch as many films with people in the MCU just to get a better idea of their body of work. And this is like <laughs> I mean of the five faces that are on the cover of the DVD, four of them are in the MCU. Leaf Schreiber is the only one who's not at this point uh and then if you flip to the other side of the the, the dvd case and then, then you've got number five with uh older uh howard stark there um <laughs> john slattery um so uh and i remember when this movie was came out that how much of a like a, a to do it was um putting this uh you know, bringing this story out into the open because uh, I think the closest thing to this that maybe people outside of Catholicism because I'm not Catholic, I don't ever raise Catholic. I know people who are Catholic. You know, of of the you know large ish organized religions out there, Catholicism is pretty awful to begin with even without <laughs> this um you know there's a lot of a lot of rules a lot of rules um and um but for those that are really outside of the catholic church i probably the closest equivalent of this is probably like the equivalent of you know the quote-unquote casting couch in hollywood how everybody knows about it who's in it but doesn't just no one speaks about it if you're inside the catholic church this was probably the catholic church's worst open secret just because of the sheer amount of victims um i mean when you get when this movie ends and it's giving you all the the textual information up and you know it tells you about just in boston uh, at the when the movie was made they figure it's about a thousand victims and then they put up the list of all the, the the cities within the united states and then cities in countries around the world and it's a long list which just goes to show how much the catholic church and how much catholicism is widespread around the globe um it is it is it has a very very large following um and you know it it pissed me off when i watched this the first time and even more so now so many years removed from it and just like several other movies that we've watched and reviewed we've not gotten very far as a society to fix this to get the victims justice to not just catholicism but organized religion as a whole should not have this much no organization but especially religious ones should not have this much power and influence especially for organizations that are supposed to be quote unquote neutral and aren't even taxed because they're you know they're quote unquote churches yet they have all this influence and like you know if you're going to be this involved in politics and all that tax the fucking churches 
make them, <laughs> you know, put on paper what it is they're putting their putting their power behind. And it's interesting watching this back to back with one of the other uh, films that was released the same year, Truth, which is about um, sixty minutes. Um, Spe- you know, episode that they did uh, back when uh, George W. Bush was running for re-election and there was questions about his military service records and how 60 Minutes and CBS was having to deal with bio- bureaucracy and, uh, you know, showing that, uh, you know, true journalism, true investigative journalism who are people who really just want to get the truth without any sort of agenda which is a way that news is labeled these days although you know those that have an agenda they're not news and they you know they're they, they know who they are um but the ones that truly don't have an agenda are not getting the credit that they deserve for uncovering these stories and bringing the truth to light and um this this you know by the time we get to then this movie I, I don't know whether i want to to cry or scream or maybe throw up from just how pissed off i am about this entire thing <laughs> you know i don't have kids i don't want kids but i have kids in my life that I care for and even kids I don't know, you know, it's, you know, I don't care, you know, about the adults so much, but kids are, are innocent. And we as an adult should be the ones looking out for them and protect, you know, trying to protect them as much as we can. And we can't get our own, we're, you know, we reach a point where we're so concerned about protecting our own ass that we forget about those who don't have the ability to protect themselves. And, um, yeah, the fact that this is, that this went on for so long and unfortunately is still going on, you know, um, and, you know, uh, I will, yeah, like I said, I don't have any kids, but any kids in my life that, that I care about, I'll just say I, uh, you know, a hundred percent of the time, I would rather entrust them with a drag queen than a Catholic priest. I, I, I can't blame you when it comes to that, Rachel. I mean, I will say, having lived in Italy all soon to be 41 years of my life, the subject of sexual abuse and pedophilia on behalf of the clergy would crop up in national news quite often and going as high up as cardinals within the Vatican And quite recently, a case was reopened about a young girl literally disappearing while on the premises of the Vatican. And to this day, what happened to her remains a mystery. Her brother is actually still fighting to find out the truth. And though I am of the Jewish faith, but live in a Roman Catholic country par excellence, where the Vatican is literally on our doorstep, this movie did strike pretty close to home. And you can probably understand why movies like this one have not been made by Italian directors. Though we have had quite a few of those who were incredibly anti-clerical. I think of, for example, Fellini's Eight and a Half. So there is very much an anti-clerical sentiment within 
Italian filmmaking. And there still is a pretty strong anti-clergy sentiment within the country on one side because the horrendous episodes like the ones discussed in this film. But secondly, given, like you guys were saying, the great power the church and the Vatican possess, and more often not, matters such as this are swept under the rug. Now, of course, the people don't forget. And this was an incredibly well done movie and it felt more like a documentary, if you will, than an actual film, especially when it comes to performances given by our main cast and how the story itself rolls out in similar fashion, if you will, to Good Night and Good Luck, for example. I mean, it seems like McCarthy does like to take on important stories which Hollywood may willingly avoid. And this film is another example of that. And as Rachel would say, though, almost nothing happens, if you will, within this movie. For the most part, it is just people in various rooms talking. The writing and the way said conversations occur are so potent and so engrossing that I found myself literally glued to my screen from start to finish, just like with Good Night and Good Luck or even Twelve Angry Men. So I suppose one can see elements of what uh, Lumet did with his movies as well in this. So it's a brilliantly, brilliantly executed film. So let's kick off our review by looking at the editor of our Spotlight team. We have the aforementioned Michael Keaton, a.k.a. Birdman, as Walter Robbie Robinson. So, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of Robbie? Like I said, I feel like Robbie seems so in shock and seems to have so much guilt, you know, sur you know survivor guilt, considering, you know, the people he's friends with from school and where he went to school and who he knows and how he, you know, he knows the Cardinal. And um, that's how little I know about Catholicism. I'm like, what's Cardinal law? Is that like martial law? No laws and names. And <laughs> it sounded like Cardinal law was a thing, like a, like a doctrine. I'm like, no, 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 that's just the guy's name. <laughs> so, you know, he, you know, we start out, he seems like he's the guy that you know he's not the head of the paper but he's been there a long time he's seen it all he's done it all he knows everybody he's been everywhere he's part of this elite group of investigative journalists who are honestly kind of a dying breed at this point um because you know we think about investigative journalism and you know, we think of everything from all the president's men to the Incredible Hulk, you know, where where there's that one journalist that is trying to get into everything. And they're essentially detectives, but rather than getting you arrested, they're just going to write it down. And, you know, you know, we don't we hadn't seen that in such a long time because so much of that was sort of sensational television in recent years. And so it's really kind of an elite group of, of, of reporters that he's with. And he comes off at the beginning so incredibly confident. And even when he's having his meetings with um, Liv Schreiber, you know, who's, who's coming in and, Say, you know, he, you know, coming in to run a paper that is, you know, sort of a dying medium. And he's trying to defend the fact that these, you know, this group of four people sometimes spends a year researching <laughs> a, a story when they're basically trying to keep a paper alive. Like, you know, how much longer is this going to be something that is going to have 
is going to keep readers, you know, because that that's one thing Baron's saying is like, uh, we're losing readers, so we'll see, you know, and and everything. How to go? Can't tell. Like he's just, you know, he's very confident that things are going to do what they need to do, even if he can't tell right now, he can figure it out. Something will happen. He doesn't seem stressed about a lot of things, and then all of this sort of starts coming out, and he's just so shocked. Like, how could this get past him? And he's thinking that on so many different levels. How can this get past him as a longtime member of this community, as a longtime member of the Catholic Church, of someone who had gone to Catholic school, as someone? And how can this get by me as a newspaper man? You know, how how has this not been something that I've either heard about from friends or, like I said, there's survivor guilt there, too. How did I, you know this could have been us, you know, that, that whole, this could have been us situation. I think he had a very hard time with that. And then sort of realizing that this had been on his radar at some point, you know, when, when Billy Crudup is like, yeah, I sent you guys this stuff five years ago. Um, You know, I applied for these records a long time ago and nothing happened, blah, blah, blah. And then he's left realizing how, how his perception of the way things are made him non-receptive to how things actually are. Because when you believe something so deeply like something like religion and you've been mired in that your entire life, you know, you were brought up going to church by religious parents and then you go to, you know, you go to Catholic school and then you have, you know, dealings with, you know, high up Catholic, uh, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for, but high ranking within Catholicism, people who are not necessarily government, but definitely consultants, you know, you know, even, you know, think about, you know, how, uh, how the Ghostbusters have to (laughs) have to consult with the Cardinal, you know, there are some times where there's, there's a lot of religious consulting going on, whether we, you know, whether that's how it should be or not that sometimes you hear something that seems so incredibly untrue that your brain, it doesn't even register with your brain. You know, like if somebody were to tell you that the sky was pink, you'd be like, yeah, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Like this doesn't even make any sense. And I think that's where he was. I don't think he was, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he was Jamie Sheridan, Jamie Sheridan's character in trying to actively bury things because you know that's not his job but i just don't think he even and i don't think he was even thinking of things like readership like i don't think the audience was necessarily his concern because that is his life of we take a long time to research what we're going to research we do it and then it's it's a big deal you know he had such incredible confidence in the job he was doing and his team that it, it it didn't even seem like oh well if we run this we'll you know it, it won't be a popular story it didn't even seem like that it just seemed like he was so incredibly shocked to even learn this was a thing that he, I, I don't even think it registered with him like i don't think there was any sort of malice involved in his not paying attention I just don't think he even knew how to process it when it happened. And that's the sort of perfect storm 
with when when this started to happen where he had to really examine what was going on who was talking how from how many different angles it was coming from not just that not just who knew but who covered it up and how high the cover up went you know when this became his project then he sort of had to face something that not that he he didn't seem to have an issue with it like it wasn't it wasn't this sort of you know question of faith shaking for him it was this question of how did this happen and you know and just this you know this could have been me like this real how did i get how am i how am i one of the lucky ones how did how did it get there and i thought that was fascinating about him because like i said before this movie is not particularly tense or overly dramatic i mean it's dramatic enough because the subject matter is dramatic so it doesn't really need anybody daniel day lewising it up for effect because it's already effective you know when you hear these guys talk about the things the priest said to them you know you know you'll you'll hear this guy talking it's like and yeah and then the priest told me to give him a blowjob and you're like what the hell like holy like holy crap like this is this is some big deal crap like you're already just shocked like the situation itself is shocking enough that this movie doesn't manufacture drama around it you know what i mean like even when we have the situation and we'll talk more about rachel mcadams character later where it's like how am i gonna tell my grandma and grandma reads the paper and she's like i need a glass of water like there's no you know there's no infighting you know we know that mark ruffalo and his wife were kind of on the outs but that's because he works too much and we're not focusing on that you're not seeing a lot of fighting between people even um even <coughs> excuse me hey, apparently i need a glass of water but you know even brian darcy's character brian darcy james even brian darcy james's character who realizes how close he lives to somebody there's no like this fight in the alley with that guy i mean there's nothing in this movie that is overly dramatic for effect because it knows that the subject matter is is grave enough is dramatic enough and i think i think the way robbie handles himself in this is is an example of that of like it just becomes we're doing this you know and you know he can tell he can tell Baron, he can tell Bradley, whatever. This we're doing this. We have to do this. Okay, maybe we'll put it off for a little bit for for 9-11, but we're doing this. And I can only imagine what that must be like. I I I guess I sort of can understand. Um I went to a very small high school and it recently came out about some abuse from a teacher. Um and we just if we weren't a part of it we just didn't know it was that secret it was that much of a secret and when we look back on it now we're like well as adults we should have figured something out but as kids we just we just thought oh um they get along 
<laughs> or or that teacher likes that student more than they like us whatever you know it so you know and you and you think to yourself you know how how did we avoid this how did others avoid it what made one per- and you sort of think of that and it is just kind of just so shocking that you're just sort of left with a with a sense of purpose rather than a sense of fury i think and i think that's that's what this character has is it it gives him a sense of purpose rather than a sense of fury very well said. I like that sense of purpose rather than sense of fury. Nice one. And uh, Rachel, what did you make of, of Mr. Robinson? He is he's in an interesting position with this new boss coming in and having to wonder if yeah, you know, the way they've been doing things is going to get completely upended, which it turns out not to be the case necessarily in fact he's the one that kind of hands them this assignment um and it ends up being you know anytime you go into researching something even if it's something you think you have some idea about you know i had to do a, a thesis paper for graduate school and while i knew quite a bit about the subject matter once you really dive into it you end up discovering all sorts of things and you know now we have the power of the internet you know the internet was still kind of a newish thing for them in the early 2000s um and you know uh and for them, you know, they're looking at record, you know, the the records that they're needing. Probably a lot of them are digitized now, but you know, they were having to go into smelly basements with dead rats in corners to literally pull off books and newspaper clippings and all sorts of things. Which the gal who like whose job is that to like go pull stuff? I want her job. That's like a dream job for me uh <laughs> just let you need research i will do your research um of course now that everything's digitized so it's a little easier but still um and the fact that this was something that he had handed to him you know like was that 93 or something so almost a decade earlier but he was working in a different department he was in metro you know and they didn't necessarily have the resources that they have now. And they, why they handed it to him when he was in Metro, when he was the new guy in Metro, when the spotlight department has been around since like the seventies as beyond me, why it didn't go immediately the spotlight to begin with. I don't know. Um, they were probably just like, Oh, the new guy over in Metro. Let's give this to him. See what he does with it. Um <laughs> And, you know, for him to realize that he is, like, essentially forgotten that they were sitting on kind of this bomb a decade earlier, along with his own personal kind of survivor's guilt of attending one of these Catholic schools where at least one of these accused priests worked and it just so happens that he was on a different sports team than the one that that priest coached and therefore, you know, managed to get by, you know, unharmed. Meanwhile, he has friends 
that are now dealing with the the trauma and you know there's a bit of survivor's guilt there along with some catholic guilt. you know we talk about talk about jewish guilt jewish guilt's pretty bad but there's not there's no guilt like catholic guilt um and he has to reconcile everything that he was taught and indoctrinated in as a child with the reality that's staring at him in the face in black and white with these all this evidence um but uh you know thankfully <laughs> thankfully he's his you know his journalistic integrity um wins out and you know whatever you know i'm sure he'll have to reconcile but the fact that they're getting you know they're getting all these calls from from people once the article runs you know the the they're pretending you know it's opening up a big old can of worms but if they can help people um then you know it's worth any 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 lingering guilt he might have um but you know it's with the hierarchy in a business like that where you know spotlight's job is to do the really in-depth investigation type reporting so it can take months if not a year for them to come up with a complete story but it's the types of it's the types of stories that need as many rocks over unturned and you know damp basements <laughs> you know smelly basements dug through you know boxes and and files and and whatever you know this isn't just a little blip in the newspaper going you know the 7-eleven on the corner got robbed <laughs> you know the thief got the thief got away with uh 56 dollars in cash and a box of slim jims you know and the you know then the, the next day people are going to move on this is the because this is something that has gone on for so long and is so enmeshed with the city uh, just the city of boston that you know they're not even talking about the all the other places that are listed at you know during the credits and in, in the, at the end of the film just the city of boston how enmeshed this is with the people at the newspaper the schools the businesses you know people's grand you know everyone from you know people's kids to people's grandmas are going to be affected by this and possibly have already been affected by this because of the silence um it it deserves and requires the amount of of time and effort that they that they put in put into this and for him to be the uh the person that makes sure that all the cogs in the in the system keep turning properly everybody's doing their job um because that multiple people work on the same article is unusual um uh, especially for that long but um you know his his job is is not not an easy one 
and but he also i think he got very lucky that the boss has his back on this because that's who brought it to him in the first place so because any any other random higher up could come in and be like yeah well we appreciate what you're doing but uh you know you got four or five people working on one article when each of those people could be working on an article each and we'd have more you know we'd be producing more content uh which would be a better use of our money and resources but um thankfully that's that's not the case but he's got he's got a lot on his shoulders um and um you know this is obviously this is an extremely uh, different performance from birdman <laughs> to, to come to this right after doing birdman it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shock but it's still a really good performance you know because like zane was saying this is very much a lot of people talking in rooms or on the telephone or writing stuff down or making copies or whatever um not a whole lot really happens quote unquote because what they're uncovering is what is happening you know each each bit of information each name that they uncover every victim that they find and they're able to get a hold of is something um important and um yeah i think i think michael keaton does a a a good job of of keeping a level head but also showing you know some vulnerability you know trying to figure out the new boss and then approaching people that he knew from high school and you know it's like you know each one of them each one of these reporters that we're going to talk about you know when they go to approach somebody to try to get them to talk about this that's not easy to to get somebody to talk about something that is probably going to be a very very uncomfortable situation um so michael keaton along with i think with everybody else uh it, that's a not an not an easy line to toe and i think they all do a, a fairly good job of it oh for sure i mean it's definitely not easy whatsoever and jesse your thoughts on robbie so we've already talked about how much uh, we all admire Michael Keaton as an actor. And so it's just so good to see him in this role. It, he plays it very understated. And, you know, he's he's anxious about meeting the new boss. Um, Zan already talked about at this point, and, and it continues to this day. Uh, newspapers are hurting financially and there are cuts and cuts and cuts constantly um so the idea that having a team that focused on long term stories without an immediate roi right am i generating readers am i doing this is something he's very concerned and i think the first surprise we get is the new boss is have you thought about this right, actually gives him a story. And you're going, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the, um, we are doing something a little bit different than the new boss comes in and immediately wants to lay off everyone and wants to, you know, he's the bad guy. 
and you know our hero is the one fighting for journalism no um i think I love the interactions between the team of do we have to get it right? And as we follow Robbie and he meets with everyone, it's very clear he is very respected in the community. He's respected in the church. He's respected among other journalists. Um, and he's, you know, a high profile alumni. And, you know, they even talk about that. And, I, I love his – this is a very understated performance for me, and I think maybe that's why he didn't get nominated while Raphael did, right? Because he's a little more flat. Uh, this is just very, you know, keeping the ship going. Um, and I'm not sure where to – bring. so I'm going to bring it up now. I think one of the best scenes in the movie is when they're all on the con call with this expert. And they mentioned we found four or five priests. And like, yeah, that number doesn't seem right. And they all look relieved. Oh, good. You know, it's it's not as bad as we thought. He said it should be closer to like 5%. And they go, wait a minute, that's 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And they're all just jaw-dropping. Um, you know, I, I, I have, I was... I was not raised Catholic, but I converted after Linda and I started dating. And uh, so went our, our kid, Chris, went to first through eighth grade in Catholic school. Um, and, and I love this idea of when you're a child of, of you know, maybe a single mom or a low income, you know, the church is involved and that you know, that statement, having the priest pay attention to you is like God picking you out. And therefore, there is that safe thing. Um, you know, you were guys were talking what this was similar to. Uh, Chris was a Boy Scout for a while. And they um, they constantly, constantly talked about the too deep rule. There had to be two adults at the same time, always with the boys. Um, that no adult should ever be alone with a child, which was sad, but good that they did that. So I just really loved his performance. Uh, the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of humor to it where, you know, even though this is a dark time um, and the idea that, you know, this is a mystery story you know, it's a mystery movie, which is why this this is so entertaining, even though it's a horrible topic. And he's kind of leading the detectives and he's kind of pushing this. And I I do think it is a love letter to the power of a free press. And I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. Um, one of the things that's hurting us in this country is that we don't we can't even, as Brad Meltzer said, we don't even agree on the issues. We can't even agree on the facts anymore. And um, I know I personally, when uh, that other guy got elected president over eight years, almost eight years ago, I paid for a, a an online subscription to the New York Times and an online subscription to my local paper. 
just as my little way of saying, okay, it's not much, but I'm going to put my money where my mouth is that journalism and telling the truth counts. And this is a love letter to journalism and how they can make a difference. And I just love that. Well, more power to you for for supporting your local paper there, Jesse. I think that that's fantastic. And it's true. Uh, papers are sadly a dying breed. And when it comes to, to me, I mean, Robbie, I think, certainly has all the traits of a charismatic leader, though. Once we head into the basement of the globe to meet the rest of the spotlight team, I did get the impression that he's the kind of boss I might like to have. And he lets everybody, for the most part, get on with their work. I mean, he's not a helicopter editor and cares incredibly for each and every one of his team members. And being the editor, he is in quite a few situations, you know, the, the face of the team when in the face of the team when it comes to reporting to managing editors, Marty Barron and Bed Bradley Jr. And while he has a close and trusting relationship for the most part with Ben, whom has who's worked with him for a long time, I do feel at first, like many others of the globe, he does give Marty somewhat of a wide berth as the man is not from Boston. He's the new guy. And of course, Robbie is concerned that Marty, being the new managing director, like you guys were saying, may decide to make some layoffs and wants to make sure he's cool with the spotlight team. And I think throughout the course of the film, we see how the horrors that our team uncovers affects him in different ways. When it comes to Robbie, it initially seems to put a strain on his relationship with Ben. And add to that, it understandably estranges him from people he used to hang out with, whom he finds out were key in hushing up and helping out the guilty priests. And at the same time, as things unravel, one can see how Robbie is also guilt-ridden himself for not doing something sooner, like you guys were saying, when the story about Father John Yogan first appeared, and now wants to very much do all he can to find justice for, for the victims and the victims of the other priests, and as is the nature of the spotlight, literally bring to the light these hushed up crimes. And I love the irony that the team are in the basement, if you will. And just like their location, their job is to bring the truth to the world above, if you will. So nice, nice little irony there. So uh, let's get to our three members of our spotlight team. We have uh, Mark Ruffalo, of course, as Michael Resendis, Rachel McAdams as Sasha Pfeiffer, and Brian Darcy James as Matt Carroll. So, Rachel, beginning with you, what did you make of our trio? These are, uh, you know, these are the boots on the ground, essentially. Um, while Robbie is, you know, making sure all the pieces, parts, everything moves slowly and everyone's doing their job, um, they're the ones that are going out on the streets and meeting with, with, people and sources and and um all these things um matt obviously um well all everyone on this team ends up touched by this investigation in one way or another um it's uh you know each one is affected differently um you know, Matt. <laughs> Matt has has kids and realizes that there's one of these quote unquote rehabilitation centers down the street and around the corner from his house. <laughs> you know, and he can't really do anything or say anything like otherwise, other than 
taping up a note and picture on his refrigerator saying, kids, stay away from this place and the people that live inside, which, you know, is great. But have you met little kids? You tell them not to do something. <laughs> He's, he'd be much better off just not saying anything, honestly. Um because the minute you point it out, they're going to be like, ooh, you know, what's dad keeping from us? Um, but, you know, he's just doing the, be the best he can. Um, and then, you know, Sasha, uh, Rachel McAdams' character, um, which from the YouTube, the clips and various things that I've watched so far which I've started a thread of, of various YouTube videos on, on the Discord, in the channel on Discord. Um, so if you're part of the Discord, you can go check out those. Um, the, I don't think there was actually a woman on the team at the time. Um, so I think she might be uh, somewhat of a based on someone else. Um, she's, uh, don't... She, was, she was, and she's from Ohio. <laughs> Okay, okay. I would say don't quote me completely on that. So um that's good to know. It's good to know there was a there was a woman involved. Um and obviously she brings being a woman, um, uh, and as she calls it, lapsed Catholic. <laughs> when, when the the guy who's the guy who uh started the uh the survivor program, you know, is asking them if they're Catholic or not, and she's like lapsed. <laughs> um, you know, she brings a different sort of vibe to it. So when she's talking to some of these people, like um, the, the one gentleman who, uh, you know, came out as homosexual and uh, at a young age and had this Catholic priest that was, you know, in theory, telling him that it was okay to be gay uh <laughs> um you know she she i think she brings a a little bit of there's just you know something almost kind of sisterly about it you know um something a little softer um although she's not afraid to you know get in there and and you know uh, ask the the hard questions um but uh you know and she's the one that that comes across one of the priests at home and he's um you know brutally honest with her because in his mind he did nothing wrong and that in part uh, and uh, at least for some that's a huge huge red flag about what are you know what are these priests and bishops and these people what you know these people in these positions of power what are they being taught that he thinks that it you know since he didn't get sexual pleasure from it then it wasn't that big a deal he didn't actually really hurt anyone or rape anyone he would know because he was raped himself which you know I could go on an entire side tangent about the cycle of abuse. Um, <laughs> but that's for another time, probably. Um, you know, it, it's he's just and and that exact priest, that's exactly what happened when he was approached by one of the one of one of the team. He was just absolutely like, yeah, I did it. 
but I can get I can get gratification from it. So you know, that, I didn't really do anything wrong. We were just like the the there's uh you know if you're if you're not familiar with the term and this is that this something that is something to applies to a lot of the characters in you know a lot of the people in this story but also applies to a lot of things in life you know especially now with people defending those who are obviously not good people and yes i am thinking about a, a particular politician but there are others as well <laughs> um you're, you're like how can people still follow this person and still support them if you know if you want to go down a, a psychological rabbit hole look up cognitive dissonance it's absolutely fascinating what our brains will do to protect ourselves and there is a lot of that in this and there's a lot of it going on in the real world um where though you know those of us who seemingly have our head screwed on straight you're like isn't it obvious no it's not sometimes it's not it's not obvious um and a lot of it has to do with the cognitive dissonance it's a it's a it's uh you know a, a strange psychological phenomenon about you know what what our brains are willing to do to protect us from things that we think are harmful to us and you know the fact that sasha is just kind of like you know when she gets shooed off the, the doorstep by the the priest sister you know she just kind of has this look on her face of like what the hell just happened and then she sees those boys drive you know come by on their bicycles and they're like you know, there's kids in this neighborhood that have no idea. Like, has he hurt any of them? Yeah, I'm sure that's what she's thinking. Um, you know, at the same time, also thinking about her poor Catholic grandmother who goes to church three days a week. <laughs> Which, every religion that says you need to be in church three more than one time a week, seriously, people have lives. Um when I went to church, I had a church. When I was a kid, I went to a church that I went twice a week, and that was difficult to work into my schedule sometimes. Um, and then they tried to make you feel guilty about not always showing up. Uh, so yeah, that wasn't even Catholicism. Um, and then um, yeah, <laughs> it's not that it's not that he's affected the most but he's the one that allows his emotions to to read to bubble to the surface is is mike played by mark, mark ruffalo who just absolutely you know there's a reason he got nominated um you know he's he is uh it, it's somewhat amusing to see you know just how uh you know uh how much he's willing to do um to get to the the truth and get the information that this team needs to to do this to do this story um you know he he takes a flight from florida back to boston and it, you know it doesn't even go home to drop off his luggage he's literally going to like this the the, the city records building 
<laughs> just as the guy's going to lunch. Um, and, you know, he sits there. And then the guy doesn't want to give him the records. And then he has to go to a judge. And then he finally gets the records. And the guy's all like, oh, you have to make copies. And he's like, I'm going to make copies. Like, no, the copy room closed at four. And he's like, shit. He's like, here's all the money in my wallet. Let me use your copy machine. You know, <laughs> oh, you know, constantly going to to visit, um, you know, uh, Mitchell. Uh, you know, he's like a he's like a he's like a a puppy that has been given a a toy, and it's like this is mine now, and you will not take it away from me until I have done everything I can to this toy. <laughs> um he's just like Uh, he's like i'm gonna get that squeaker uh (laughs) so rachel hate to interrupt you but the i i thought of this when he gives all the money and first off i think the guy is being a jerk not because he's catholic just because he hates his job but i thought how did he pay for the cab if he gave everything in his wallet to the clerk? I was thinking he probably like, he probably built the the newspaper for it. Did he did did he stop at an ATM like uh, on the way out and get money for the yeah. cab? Anyway, those are the kind of things that I think that can almost get you out of a movie. Continue, yeah. please. <laughs> give everything he had. Make maybe sure he made sure to have just enough for cab fare. Uh, yeah. Or he build the the cab fare to the the globe. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that guy's just like a. It's like I work for the government. This is a, a shitty job. Just go away. I don't want to work. Why are you trying to make me work? He's like Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. It's like, why am I? Why are you making me do work? Um. And uh. But you know, he's one of the first. Well, I mean, the the way that the, the way that the shown in the movie, it almost looks like they're happening happening at the same time as Sasha's talking to the one the one gentleman. Um, but it almost seems like Mike is probably like one of the first people to talk to a victim, and that probably stuck with him. Um, and um, so by the time you know we reach this point where it's like, okay, we got everything, we're you know we're ready to go, and all of a sudden, newspaper bureaucracy seems to be putting a, a big old speed bump in the way, and he just absolutely just, you know, kind of loses it and has this, you know, impassioned moment. And you know, he ends up apologizing later, which he didn't need to. You know, it's like, yeah, you need, you know, when it comes to journalism, yeah, you're supposed to be impartial, but you're still human. You can be impartial and still be affected, you know, and, uh, you know, to see, to see, you know, it it goes to show that he, they all care. It's obvious they all care, but there's just something about this that has, has struck him in a way that he's just, you know, I don't know if it's his age or his exposure to to stuff or whatever because we don't really get a whole lot of backstory on him I and mean, we know he's married they don't seem to have kids though 
but he seems to be more married to his job. So maybe it's the fact that he's like, you know, I'm put blood, sweat and tears and I'm uh, you know, essentially putting my marriage on the line for this story. It needs to run. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have, you know, it has to be worth what I've, I've put into this and put on late on the line. Uh, so this, this, this has to pay off in some form or fashion. Um, and, um, what's fun is if, if you go on, if you go online, you could see all sorts of, uh, when they were doing press, you know, for the movie, um, there's a lot of clips from various, you know, TV shows, uh, you know, Good Morning America and, and stuff like that. And it's Mark Ruffalo with the actual mic next to him, the two of them talking to you, you know, side by side. <laughs> so that's quite fun to see him next to the person that he was portraying. And I guess Mike, you know, we show up on sets every so often. The, the ones, their counterparts, some of them uh, were there at least somewhat during the during the uh the the filming and, and production uh, apparently the real robbie robinson said it was very it was like looking at a mirror watching michael keaton portray him <laughs> so so yeah it's it's uh quite fun with with some of these with some of the uh the actual spotlight crew that they've uh you know before this they may have kind of not necessarily been names people would know out probably outside of boston but when you do something like this as a journalist um you know sometimes it gets you rec recognition and hopefully in a good way <laughs> hopefully not necessarily in a bad way so yeah i'm sure all of them i'm sure you know the yeah especially journalists of their type i can imagine that you know they're going to be the next you know bob woodward or whatever with with watergate uh but those 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 kinds of stories aren't don't happen often enough you know this is a kind of a once in a once in a career making opportunity um which is great for their career but at the end of the day um it's it's really about the the victims you know that's when you know they reach a point where they kind of have to decide is our focus going to be on the institution or you know is it going to be you know which path are we going to take yeah we should fork in the road and they have to decide um and um that's who knows what would happen if they have that they chose the other chose the other fork <laughs> we'll never know it's very much a what-if scenario, I guess, at that point. And I will say uh, that uh, Mike made me incredibly hungry when I was seeing the late-night pizza. I'm like, dang it, I don't have pizza in my house. Now I want pizza. Thank you, Mark Ruffalo. But other than that, uh, well said there, Rachel. And uh, Jesse, your thoughts on our trio? Yeah, all three of them were really great. And, you know, one of the things that struck me is that what is really a thing of beauty is when you have a team that works together and, and each knows their role, like one of, you know, doing heavy research, 
doing the actual riding, doing the running down. They all had their chance to shine. They all had, um, I think they did a great job of showing each of them working. You know, a couple things that Rachel brought up is the shocking um, lack of guilt that often you saw these. I mean, it was, I, I'm, I'm excused, you know, I, I'm, this is, you know, a long time ago, I think Penn Jillette made the joke that the reason people in the past, men tried to become rich and powerful is so that they could do the things that rich and powerful people do that now they're held against them. Right. Uh, because they think they're, obs they think, they have a get out of jail free card. This is free. And for the greater good, I'm serving, uh, you know, I'm serving the Holy Church. And if I get a few perks, so what? Right. You can't can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And I, I will I was wondering when to tell the story. So I'm going to keep this very vague. But some wonderful, very close friends of ours had a um, relative that not a priest, but a teacher at a private Catholic school um, behaved inappropriate. I'm going to keep this very vague. And when it was reported, the community totally turned against them. You just don't understand this is this is a very special relationship that this teacher has with the students. There's nothing inappropriate. And when pushed, um, one of the parents totally supported the child. And the other parent sadly chose the church and the community that it was so important to them to be part of this community and to feel their support because they had divorced that they couldn't, they couldn't turn their back on this community and they just work through, tried to justify it in their mind. And that's the power of these, these institutions, whether it's a long time, a private Catholic school, whether it's a Catholic church, um, whether it's the boy Scouts, what, whether it's Hollywood, uh, you know, that you are a victim and no one takes your side. Um, I will tell you that um, there are many reasons why I no longer go to mass. Um, and I will not say this is totally because of this, but there are, this is one of the factors where I don't care to go anymore. And the cynic in me, I will promise you, Nick, that when I hear the bishop appeal or them asking for funds, I my first thought is how much of that is going into the slush fund to pay off victims that have been abused by children. So Got it off on a little tangent there. Uh, so uh, apologize for about that. Um, the three actors are so well done. And, you know, you go back to there's no small roles there. You know, 
you know, there there are no small roles that every actor. This has a lot of cast. This has a lot of people playing parts. And as you guys mentioned, most of it's just this could be an Aaron Sorkin film, right? You're just dialogue everywhere. Um, but it's well done. And it except for the Cardinal, I I almost don't the other people, the lawyers, the people are, you all understand where they're coming from, that this is such a big thing they can't fight against. And these three crusaders, I think, do a great job of showing, hey, I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm trying to make a difference. I am trying to get, give victims to this a voice that, you know, we care about them. And that they they are not this is not okay, and I just this is um, a really really as Rachel talked about you know talk about MCU right. But as I was watching this, and I mentioned this already, this is an all star cast. I mean, every role is done so well um, that I, I just I loved everything about this film. Well, I, I totally agree with you there, Jesse. It is definitely a very much an all-star cast. Like, holy crap, they got everybody in this movie. So uh, so definitely kudos to the, the casting director for getting all these these fantastic actors. And uh, Zan, what did you make of Mike, Sasha, and Matt? Yeah, Mike, Sasha, and Matt, I was watching this and thinking to myself, I wonder, this is one of those weird movies where you feel like everyone could get nominated for a Best Actor or a Best Supporting Actor. And I thought to myself, I wonder why it was just Billy Crudup and then, um, or, or, or not Billy Crudup, Mark Ruffalo, sorry. Um, why it was just Mark Ruffalo. And then I'm like, oh, that's why. And because when I saw, when I saw his, um, these are children, you know, his whole big, when he finally blows up and, you know, just can't stand what he's hearing anymore. I'm like, okay, that, that's why he, he almost hulks out on that one like i i expected like veins to pop out of his head he was so incredibly angry and he was saying what we were all thinking like i don't care that you know that this you cannot children cannot be collateral damage in your testing of faith you know and you know I, i think that is one of the biggest problems in this situation is i think things are being hidden thinking that it's going to be okay because if we bring them with god it will be okay um god's timetable is a lot different than earth's timetable and children cannot be the collateral damage for that and we all know this and even like rachel was saying when it comes to journalism you need to be impartial and just report on the facts and i think this team is doing a good job of that of just saying hey i have some questions did this happen did this not happen there's no, you know, there's no judgment. There's no anger directed towards the people they're they're questioning. It's just, you know, they, he has his blow up in private, essentially. And but there are just some things that we can agree on. And that is that children do not deserve this, that this is not something that should be happening to children. And what this does to this group of people um, uh, you know, Sasha Pfeiffer, by the way, not just from Ohio, from Columbus, Ohio, actually. Um, she went to Catholic school here in Columbus. Um, 
what they're realizing is just everything they've been taught to trust, you know, what they've been taught to trust, they can't. And even though they are lapsed Catholics or never really went to Catholic school, but, you know, there, there are some things that we like, even in war of the worlds, you know, my father always said that in the event of a crisis, find a church. It's like, well, okay, that works for when there's aliens here, but you know, it, it's kind of ingrained in us, even if we don't grow up religious, that churches are safe places you can go. If someone's following you, you can go into a church. If you need someplace quiet, you can go into a church. That this is an institution that you should be able to trust. And the fact that you can't shakes everybody. And it shakes them on all on different levels. And Sasha, especially where she's like, how am I going to break this to my grandma? I mean, you can tell that this is going to just destroy her grandmother. You know, it's probably hard enough that she's not married yet and doesn't go to church with her anymore. That's probably hard enough for her grandmother to deal with. But then having to deal with this story that she's going to help break, because that's what we do as people a lot of the time. We tend to be angry at the messenger rather than the perpetrator. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys watched Mayor of Easttown, but spoiler alert, at the end of it, the the wife of the killer is like, thanks to you, I don't have a husband anymore. It's like, no, he's the one that killed somebody. I just found it out. You know, it, it's that you can't, you know, this is all your fault. Um, my, uh, my parents have a friend who was married years and years ago to, um, kind of a volatile woman and uh they were meeting for dinner somewhere and she's like well this is the last time we ever meet for you guys for dinner because you know he got pulled over and now we have to pay a fine because he had so many points on his license it's like okay um was it my fault he was speeding was it my fault that he had the previous speeding points on his license that's that's not my fault. We, you know, we tend to blame the absolute wrong person because if we're going to blame who is to blame, it shakes us too much. And that's what's happening to these people. They're being so shaken by this is happening to children. Like, how do we even how do we even do this? You know, it, they're they're so used to they're good at their jobs. They're so used to being able to research and learn things and they're used to doors being slammed in their faces and they're used to people not wanting to talk to them and they're probably used to bribing people with 87 dollars to use the copier <laughs> um but what they're not used to is what's going on i mean this is in the 90s the 80s really is i think when it started but in the 90s is when it started actually changing that you could tell people that somebody did something to you inappropriate when you were a child. Um, you know, back then it's like, we don't talk about those things or, you know, even, even when it comes to sexual assault, we blame, we blame the children for coming on to somebody. It's like, well, you know, when you're 12, no, that's not how it works. You don't get to come on to 37 year old people and be 12. That's not what it is. If you're a 37 year old tempted by a 12 year old, that's not the 12 year old's fault. Um, you know, all of those, you know, we're, you know, in the early 2000s, we're just starting to get to the point, you know, we're nowhere near me too yet. We're not, we're not trusting people. And this whole idea of if you bring down the church, you're going to bring down this whole town. 
you know, they've never seen anything this big before. You know, maybe you bring down a, a business or two, or maybe you expose um, some sort of corporate espionage. I don't know. I mean, but this is this isn't just people's lives. This is this is people's eternities for them. This this is their souls that they have entrusted to this institution. And everyone in this group understands the the gravity of that. You know, either either being raised Catholic or being raised around Catholics or having Catholic family members. And they they understand that what they have to do is so you know, I, I love when Mark Ruffalo is talking to Stanley Tucci. Are you married? Yeah. Does your is your wife okay with you working so much? No. Like it's just very matter of fact. Like, but they know what they're doing is important and they realize, you know, you know, about about 30 minutes into this movie, everybody stops worrying about the new guy from New York that might fire them. They're like, we don't even care. This is this is important and even when 9-11 happens and they're like okay we need all hands on deck for 9-11 they're like but we have this other story it's like we were just attacked by terrorists like an act of war you're gonna have to but but we have this other story like this other story is not going away you know these you know we're talking to adults about what happened to them you know this movie starts in 1976 of somebody being you know somebody being accused of 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 hurting children and even when they're saying things like you've got to tell me what you mean when you say molested people need to know what you're talking about because molested can mean a lot of things it's a very umbrella term and you know they understand what they're asking of of these victims and they are they're very respectful of that and that's another thing that i think this movie does very very well is that this movie is not about sensationalizing anything. This is not about sensationalizing this story or this situation. This movie is about telling what happened. And so really diving into victims. I mean, they have a couple of victim statements where, you know, just to let the audience know, this is not, this is, this is not the, you know, the mildest end of the spectrum of the term molestation. This is awful. This is incredibly awful. This is damaging, psychologically damaging, hurtful sexual abuse. But they only really talk about it with two, two or three people. You know, they don't, you know, you don't see the whole group of the survivor group or anybody else who's brought that. You see a couple of guys because they're not trying to sensationalize this. It's all about what, you know, what this team did and what they learned and what that meant for everyone and we see what it means you know you have that you know all these ends of the spectrum you have the absolute absolute burning anger that this has been allowed to go on um you have the i don't know what my grandma's gonna do because you know we're, we're talking about young people you know we hear a lot about pedophiles in the catholic church we hear more stories about pedophiles in the catholic church sending you know giving their attention to young boys than we do to pedophiles in the catholic church giving their attention to young girls because more often what we hear about in the catholic church is rapes of nuns of ad ad adults um but it is it, it does not discriminate you know sexual abuse does not discriminate but obviously this grandma was lucky she was one of the lucky ones nothing happened to her 
she nothing happened to a friend of hers she didn't like lose a brother or you know we're we're pretty sure that she she got to live the best life you can possibly live while being catholic and that is what she has based her life on and this is going to kill her and then you have that feeling that you you know that that you see um with with Matt's character where he's just desperate like I know this is going on right under my nose. I know they are protecting these people. I know that they are hiding them. I know what's go I know that this is just getting swept under the rug and I can't do anything about it yet. I haven't printed the story yet. You know, we also have the ridiculousness of the 3-year statute of limitations and the what was it like $10,000 40, $20,000 $20,000 um yeah. statute of limitations yeah. for any sexual assault needs any to be sexual get, assault yeah yeah needs and to disappear from every yes. law book ever similar right. like murder you there is no statute of limitations on murder and yes it was only 20k that you could get and i know we'll get to that but they actually had this cottage industry right yeah. that they were um which is almost as disturbing exactly it, it the, the the fact that they that they covered this up for their reputation rather than sacrificing the lambs they should have been sacrificing and saying all right this is you know you are not the man of god that you said you are we are casting you out you know you you can ask forgiveness of christ is all you want but you can't come back here which is what they should have been doing the entire time but they were saving face because they knew their power you know the catholic church is extremely powerful that's not to say that you know jfk took all of his orders from the vatican and what everybody thought was going to happen when a catholic president was elected <laughs> but the catholic church is extremely extremely powerful especially in heavily catholic towns like this and you just you want to protect you want to protect the people you love but you know that protecting the people you love means being there for them when the shit hits the fan. And that's what's going to happen is that they can't keep this quiet because, like I said, children are not the collateral damage. Children cannot be collateral damage of a broken system. And so no matter how well the system has treated you, um you know jesse you mentioned boy scouts you know i've 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 said numerous times that i think the girl scouts of america is one of the greatest institutions that we have and you know i don't have a lot of regrets in my life but not going through girl scouts through high school is one of them i should have stayed with it as long as i could um but we don't have the problems as boy scouts do and you know i i sometimes feel bad about it because these are you know, kids on a Saturday doing their thing, but I am not buying your popcorn. I can't do it. I cannot support your institution until they make some more changes. And it's these three characters show us exactly how far reaching this kind of thing is and how it destroys everybody. Destroys everybody's, you know, like I said, you know, uh, Sasha's grandmother, nothing happened to her, but her faith is going to be shaken. You know, she's not going to know what to do, who to trust, where to go. You know, what's she going to do for these three times a week? Is she going to 
be looking over her shoulder or wondering every time, or is she going to be shunned because her granddaughter dared to tell the truth about a priest that people liked, you know, you know, cause people go crazy when things like this happen. And the fact that they stay as level-headed as they do. And, you know, they, they don't, this is the kind of thing that would like drive me to alcoholism. Like <laughs> it would just be so difficult being, I have a really hard time with being blamed for being the messenger. I, I, that's, you know, anytime somebody, you know, gets mad at me for telling them something they don't want to hear, I'm like, all I did was tell you what's really going on. This I didn't do it. I didn't do any of this, but all I did was tell you what's really going on. You cannot be angry with that, but that, and they're risking that. They're risking a lot of that. And they're doing it in the face of a rapidly changing industry too you know there was there was a day when you know you think think about you know Shawshank Redemption you know a paper is printed and then by by you know 9 30 in the morning cops are showing up to the prison to arrest the warden like that's you know there's not that many, you know, probably what's going to happen is somebody's going to read the paper and then put it on the internet. I mean, it's a different in it's a different industry, the news industry now. And so even in this changing industry, they are still they still know that what they need to do is what they've been doing this whole time is leave no stone un, stone unturned, research this and be respectful with everyone involved and taking accountability with you know what they found and what they can do and not letting things slip through the cracks and so um it's hard to say these are wonderful characters because they're they're actual people but these are wonderful characters i'm right there with you i mean i will actually start by saying that mike is literally my favorite character of our team and of course it does help that it is mark ruffalo who just has that likable demeanor about him and you know, though all the members of our team take this latest assignment of theirs to heart and do their utmost so the story can come out, I did find, find Mike to be the heart of the team, as you very much get the impression that he is a man on a mission and realizes the guilt that the globe also shares when it came to this story not coming out sooner. And I do believe this, together with his, his innate passion, drives to put out all the stops to make things right. And we very much have a man who is married to his job, as Rachel said, which we learned did cause for him and his wife to become estranged. And he devotes any uh, of his off or his free time to his work, even when he's at a baseball game with some of the other members of the globe. And granted, he does not live in his own filth. But just by looking at his, at his apartment, you can tell it is simply a place where he sleeps more than anything else, which I think very much reflects his job of being constantly on the go. And I mentioned his passion, and a clear example of this is when he has a flare-up with Robbie once 9-11 hits, like you mentioned, Zan, their story and investigation has to take a back seat, along with snags along the way with their story. So, and then that moment there, I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I, I feel you, Mike, but it is 9-11. And uh, Sasha is an interesting character. While she also puts her heart and soul in the story, there is, of course, conflict on her end because of her devoutly Catholic grandmother and how this story, like you guys mentioned, may affect her. And we see that, though I don't get the idea that she has a fallout with her, Sasha decides to no longer attend mass and other religious events, as understandably, the horror of what she has uncovered, along with her team, very much puts her off her faith. 
And the fact of being able to still maintain her faith is addressed by one of Michael's sources, Richard, who is able to separate his faith from the clergy despite knowing what is going on and being a psychotherapist. And I suppose Sasha represents the other side of just not being able to do that. And you have that very poignant scene over Christmas where Sasha's attending mass with her grandmother and the children's choir of Silent Night. That made me feel so uncomfortable, <laughs> as, I'm, as you can tell it does Sasha as well, for seeing these innocent children <laughs> excuse me, singing a song about the birth of an innocent child. While those children are so young. It's, exactly. so, it's so perfect how young those children look. Exactly, and they're singing about the birth of another child while the priests are looking on. And so it very much colors your view of the priests themselves, and it made me feel incredibly tense. So good job, Mr. McCarthy. And when it comes to Matt, I feel this show this shows how a story like this one literally affects how you live your life. As you guys mentioned, as he learns that one of the priest rehabilitation centers is on the same block as his family's home, and though he can't tell his children or neighbors, as this could be the team story in jeopardy, he's also clearly conflicted as we see him tape up and avoid this house message on his fridge, and is very much fearful for his own kids and what may happen to them. So it's amazing how, obviously, this being their job, it affects them also incredibly personally as well. And our three actors just did a stand-up job. So uh, let's get to the leaders of the Boston Globe. We have Liev Schreiber as Marty Baron and John Slattery as Ben Bradley Jr. And the irony was not lost on me that here we have Sabretooth and Howard Stark. So, uh, Jesse, starting with you, what did you make of Marty and, Bra and Ben Bradley Jr.? So a couple of great scenes, right? First off, I remember John Slattery. I think Homefront was the first TV series I saw him in, and I really, it was set right after World War II. Kyle Chandler was also in it, and he played a union organizer. Um, really liked him, and then, of course, obviously in Mad Men. Um, he's just such a, he, he brings such a great steadiness to the, the role. Um, and so I like seeing him there. And then, interesting right you've got the new boss coming in and they make a point of him being jewish right which i don't think has anything to do with him wanting to uh discover this corruption and this this evilness that the church is doing uh but it was an odd meeting with the cardinal and he's like oh i'm gonna give you this you know and it's like okay why uh, you know, it'd be like I'm meeting with an atheist. I'm like, and here's my Bible. And it's like, okay, thanks, I guess. Um, yeah, both of them. And once again, this would have been easy to go, whether it's based on a true thought or not, that you would have had the the boss going, no, we can't do this. No, we're going to lose readers. We're going to lose the people. We can't go fight this powerful, um, you know, entity. Instead, we get this, we got to get this right. But I think they would have done that for any story. I think it isn't, in, you know, it's just like, hey, this is what we need to do. Um, so really uh, awesome little moments 
Um, and, you know, Marty, Liv Shriver plays him, and it's it's funny, Linda is watching with me, and she goes, I, I know this guy, who is he? I know he's guy. I said, think about it, think about it. And she goes, I can't think, I can't think. And then Chris walked by and said, oh, look, it's uh, Ray Donovan. <laughs> and Linda went, that's Ray Donovan? Uh, and so she's like, wow, totally different role. Um, yeah, I just really, really liked the way they were supporting the team. And the idea that, you know, they're they're worried about the drama. They're worried about what they're going to do economically. But Bryn Bradley Jr. obviously has a big name to lead up, you know, to live up to. Just so supportive. And, you know, Marty Baron is like, hey, and like that, we've done something good here for our readers. We have made a difference in their lives. And we all talk about, right, it is easy to blame the person that told us. And I, my favorite story of this is in real life, I was working at a company and our system went down. And we were at a post-mortem meeting and the head of IT, our chief technology officer is like, and your team can't tell people we're down. They just can't do that. They've got to just walk, talk around it. This is wrong. You can't do that. And I said, absolutely. I will talk about it. But let's not forget the fact that if the system hadn't gone down, we wouldn't be talking about my agent saying the wrong thing. And Zan is exactly right. They will look for the other reason to blame versus the core issue. And the core issue in this film is the Catholic Church, not even that there were priests who molested children. It's that the church systematically covered it up. They would move them from diocese to diocese to diocese to diocese instead of excommunicating them or putting them somewhere where they can't reach children. They just don't do it again. And now we're going to move you. Don't do it again. Now we're going to move you. And that is really um, is. I won't say it's worse than the actual um, molesting a child because it isn't, but it is something that the church should be very ashamed of. And as much as everyone loved Pope John Paul II, and in, you know he he was a beloved pope, he was very much part of this. Like, okay, we can't let the church get look bad. We can't do this. Versus stepping up. And I have a friend who is a Catholic deacon, and he talked about, this is years ago, but he said, you know, the bishops should sit there, pull everyone in a room and say, if you are having a problem, say right now, we will get you help. If you're having an affair on the side, stop it. But if we find afterwards, here's your one chance to come clean and we will work with you. But if this happens afterwards, you will be kicked out of the church and you will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. They're not going to do that. They're just too afraid to. Great um, supporting cast. Um, you know, I often think 
it goes without saying, but it just I think it's worth saying when we talk about these Oscar winning films, everyone does their part to hold the story up. Right. Every once in a while, you'll get a story where it's just the main character that, you know, is just the driving force. But in an ensemble piece like this, everyone has to do their part. Or it looks like the TV commercial where the guy builds the end table from and he puts you like, what are all these things that he puts the thing on? The movie crumbles if everyone doesn't do their part. But very well said. It is very much a a group effort and a team effort for sure, Jesse. I think which which made this film so successful and do so well. And uh, Zan, what did you make of Marty and and Ben? Yeah, it it like I said, this movie isn't trying to manufacture drama in an already dramatic story, and so we have this character come in. And Marty Baron, where we think he is going to be the scapegoat of this. You know, here comes in the 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 Jewish guy from New York. He probably can't wait to take down the Catholic Church of Boston. Like, no, nobody can wait to take down child molesters. It's the it, that's the important thing. Like Jesse was saying, it's that's what's going on. You know, it it it's not as bad as molesting children but covering up it, it covering it up is like one percent worse and or one percent better you know it's it's one percent not as bad so you have him come in and he's basically saying hey hey everybody i'm 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 new here what, what's going on what tell me more about this town we what yeah <laughs> and so he's there and he's there to sort of understand how this paper works, how they do things. And it's not this manufactured drama of, you know, I'm here now. We're going to run things the way I want to run them. It's sort of like, okay, tell me what you do. Okay, you spend a year writing a story. How is that working out for you? You know, if we're losing readers, is that going to be a problem? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, well, here's what we do. And then he basically hears about what they're working on and he's like i don't care that maybe we had this information before and we didn't do what we should have done with it we have it now we're gonna do it now we're gonna do what we can do now don't don't sit around feeling bad about what you know what we let get back burnered or what we didn't pay enough attention to we're gonna take care of it now and i i like that about how this is written is that they 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 don't it feels like it is really setting you up for it. And if this had been some, a fictional story, that might have been what happened. And I am sure there are some very, very devout Catholic died-in-the-wool Bostonians that did say this wouldn't have happened if that New York Jew hadn't taken over our paper. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that blamed um, the messenger rather than the offender. And... Somebody who comes in from another town, you know, Boston is one of those towns where like if you walk into the walk into a bar as a stranger, everybody turns and looks at you like, where'd you come from? <laughs> you know, there are parts of Boston that are very, you know, any any town in America that is like that, that has very religiously and ethnically clicky areas of town, you know, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, that kind of stuff. 
you're going to see that sort of a thing. You're going to see a lot of, we take care of our own here. And it's like, obviously you're not. You know, if you were taking care of your own, we wouldn't have this giant list we have at the end of the movie. And we'll talk about that later. So I like that he comes in to this story seemingly like a major outsider to Boston and a threat to how the paper runs itself. But he's a good guy and he understands what we need to be doing. You know, yes, he has to be worried about readership dropping off and losing money and everything like that. And he has to worry about things like, okay, this was a terrorist attack. We're going to have to put all of our resources into discussing this terrorist attack for the time being, but don't forget this story. You know, he's, it's not like, you know, you know, your little Catholic church expose, it's dead in the water. It's nothing like that. He's definitely saying, okay, but just forget, you know, give us a month on this terrorism thing and then we'll get back to what we need to get back to so you know I, I do like that there was no manufactured drama with that and there wasn't drama with that in real life either and ben bradley jr is an interesting one because ben bradley jr like kind of comes from boston royalty and he is journalism royalty okay he's he's he is he is the son of ben bradley washington post senior <laughs> um the boss of Woodward and Bernstein, we all, you know, Jason Robards and, and all the president's men, we all know what he did, journalistically speaking. Um, so, and he's just sort of sitting there like, holy crap, what are we, what are we getting ourselves into? Like, he's like, we gotta, we gotta do this, but you know what this means. You know, he's the, he's the Boston side of this. He's like, you know, that we are going to piss off a lot of people but we're going to do it. You know, that, that, you know, no matter, you know, and, and he's, he's very much like, we can't half-ass this. You have to have what you have to have. You have to get as much of this as you can. And, you know, when they, when they do finally, you know, I, I, I love that scene where they finally get somebody to, you know, they're, they're doing that scene of um, rather than can, sort of confirming the priest they're looking for them themselves with everybody who has been on sick leave or has been put on sabbatical or i forget what the terms were for it and they look for everybody and then they they show it to someone like can you confirm and he just circles every single name and and bradley's like wait 70 you found all 70 of them like what the hell just happened and so he's he's very much the voice of we are going to bring the hammer down and the hammer is going to fall and the hammer is going to fall hard and the Boston Globe is going to absorb it because it has to. You know, he. Th this is a, you know, it is going to be difficult. This is going to be, we're going to lose friends. We're going to lose support. We're going to make enemies, but they are enemies we want. You know, you want to be enemies with someone who is okay hushing up child molestation you want to be enemies with that person <laughs> and and he realizes that and he realizes that no matter what this city seems to be founded on and no matter what this city considers a trusted institution he this is a guy that was born into journalism at its finest and that's what they're there for and this is going to be, and he's, and he's very much, this is going to be hard, 
but we're gonna do it and um i thought slattery did a did a fantastic job um it's <laughs> it's probably as hard to play ben bradley jr as it was to be Br ben bradley jr you know it's a lot to live up to and i think they i think he did a really good job and i think they both did you know Liv Schreiber always does a fantastic job he's always wonderful um my favorite role of his is still and will always be mixed nuts if you've never seen mixed nuts watch it at christmas it's one of my favorite christmas movies um Liv Schreiber can do anything and um like i said i i like that this just was what it was it just happened to be that somebody jewish from new york came and took over the paper at this time of this there was no manufactured drama with that because again i don't care who you are you want to be enemies with somebody who is covering up for child molesters very well said indeed and i'm also glad that they actually got a jewish guy to play a jewish character so I'm like yes you know because I'm, I'm so i was very happy that we actually got that because sometimes that, that's not the case but uh but of course, you know, Lever was did a great job with this one. And Rachel, what did you make of, of these two characters? I forgot Lee Schreiber played Sabretooth. <laughs> Although technically that's not the MCU yet. Um <coughs> we'll see what happens with Deadpool 3. Uh <laughs> um yeah, to to like I said, to have you know this new you know, obviously younger guy than the guy that is retiring when we see when we're first kind of introduced to the the staff you know they're having his retirement party and they're eating cake and all that fun stuff um yeah to have this this guy who's not from boston not catholic you know and, you know he's like the everything that is the opposite of the people of Austin um, come in and not, you know, not uh, completely disrupt a seemingly well-oiled machine that is this newspaper, but instead is all like, I've got an idea, you know, for a, for a story. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of like bosses and management come in with their own good ideas <laughs> they, they're usually either idiots and completely out of touch and therefore their ideas all suck or they steal someone else's idea and pass it off as their own <laughs> so for this guy to come in and to have a genuinely good idea um you know especially to pick up something that they potentially could have done years before and it's all like no you know your your little your little spotlight team totally trust you but how about this idea instead <laughs> um <clears throat> shows all the faith he has right off the bat uh for the the people of this this paper that he's now in charge of um and yeah i mean ben bradley jr yeah <laughs> John Slattery is one of those character actors. It's like you see his face and you know his face, but you don't necessarily know his name. Um, at least I think up until he did Mad Men and then, you know, he was on people's screens on a regular basis. So it makes it easier to learn people's names. Um, to me, he's always older Howard Stark. Um, so you're also, I'm, I, I'm so jealous. <laughs> to me, John Slattery is always going to be that likes to pee, be the guy that likes to pee on people from from uh, Sex in the City. 
Yeah. So you're just lucky that you have all these nice memories of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, Ben Bradley Jr. is, you know, he, you, know, you talk about like titans of industry, you know, him and his father are, you know, the Rockefellers of news. Uh, you know, his, his father was, you know, the, the, the post played by Tom Hanks in the movie, the post alongside Meryl Streep. Um, so <laughs> Tom Hanks plays John Slattery's father in a different movie. Um, you know, you can, you can complain about some of these media moguls that own, you know, some of these companies and how some of them just kind of seem to like collect them up just because it's really good for their portfolio and makes them a shit ton of money. Um, but every now and then you do get someone who actually gives a crap about the industry. Um, and, you know, we see, you know, I mean, Bradley doesn't give him necessarily carte blanche, but, you know, again, he's behind his, his team. Um, so uh, it's, it's, again, compared to after watching this right after watching Truth, where... Um, you know, Kate Blanchett's character gets uh, essentially thrown under the bus <laughs> by the people higher up than her. It was very nice to see some, you know, some some people up the up the uh, management chain that actually give a crap about their employees are willing to have their back. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed, it's it's definitely a, a definitely a great change of pace there for sure. I mean, yeah, I think uh, you know Marty is very much depicted as that highly principled and dedicated journalist and he is relentless in his pursuit of the truth and makes it clear like you guys said that he wants the spotlight team to focus on exposing this systemic sexual abuse within the catholic church and his commitment to the investigative journalism and the pursuit of justice for the survivors is completely unwavering at the same time he also challenges the status quo within the newsroom and disrupts the long-standing relationships between the paper and influential Boston institutions, including the Catholic Church. And of course, his outsider status allows him to approach the story without preconceived biases, making him a strong advocate for the investigation. And I guess while he is portrayed as reserved and stoic, he does provide the necessary leadership to guide the spotlight team in their complex and potentially explosive investigation, and I, I actually just love his very calm and thoughtful demeanor. It's very much a stabilizing force throughout the movie. And I think his character very much symbolizes the moral compass that investigative journalism should always adhere to. See, he insists on exposing the truth, regardless of the repercussions, and prioritizes the victim's well-being ab above all else. When it comes to Ben Bradley Jr., and it's 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 Mr. Slattery, so you know you can't go wrong. His he's also instrumental, like you like you were saying earlier, Rachel, in supporting and guiding the spotlight team. He is depicted very much as the seasoned journalist with a deep understanding of the complexities and the challenges of investigative reporting. He's very much the strong advocate for the team and believes in the importance of their work. But he also faces the ethical dilemma of when to publish the explosive findings of the investigation. And, as, and he also finds himself, he also must balance the need 
for thorough, responsible reporting with the urgency of exposing the truth to the public. And I think his decision highlights the journalistic responsibility of not rushing to publication without ample evidence. Also, of course, you have his personal connection to the Catholic Church through his family, which adds that extra layer of complexity to his involvement in the investigation and his ability to separate his personal life from his professional responsibilities is very much a testament to the character's integrity. He's, of course, very much portrayed as a champion of editorial courage. He understands the magnitude of the story and supports the spotlight team's pursuit of the truth, even when it means challenging powerful institutions and risking the backlash. So two fabulous, fabulous characters indeed. And I think they very much serve as examples of journalistic ethics, the commitment to the truth, and the pivotal role of editorial leadership in uncovering and reporting on important and often uncomfortable stories. So kudos to the real life guys, and of course, kudos to our actors. So let's round off our characters with our two attorneys. We have, of course, Stanley Tucci as Mitchell Garabedian and Billy Crudup as Eric McLeish. So, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of our two attorneys? They were very interesting because, you know, you have Billy Crudup, who seems like a very slick attorney and has a real sense of, oh, well, whatever I tried. Um, that, you know, hey, I gave you guys this. You didn't do anything with it. You know, I, I'm doing what I can, but whatever. You know, he he's um, he doesn't seem to be as... I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, and we find, we, we of course find out that he is more helpful than he seems at first. And he eventually does become a little bit more hands on with everything, you know, with letting him know, you know, what was, what was submitted, what was requested, what was filed, what he'd done, what he'd already given them, things like that. But, he almost has this feeling of, like I said, well, whatever I tried, this isn't going to make anybody any money. Um, you know, I got some people their $20,000. I did what I could. End of story. Is kind of where he seemed to fall in that in that uh, spectrum. Whereas Stanley Tucci's character, the Garabedian character, reminds me a little bit more of the Paul Newman character in The Verdict. Where, you know, he's not exactly a high-priced lawyer. He's a little bit in over his head, but he knows what he's doing is meaningful. He has, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of time for anybody, especially reporters, because he's protecting his clients. You know, he's he's really understanding what this stuff is putting his clients through you know the fact that he has to ask all these questions and then maybe or maybe not get results and then trying to fight this uphill battle of the three-year twenty thousand dollar rule you know of course and these people aren't coming forward for 30 years you know he's trying to fight that uphill battle he doesn't have the resources he's not that well funded and he's really trying to protect them from having to rehash and rehash and rehash from every reporter that thinks they have a story. And then it falls behind because he's seen this just like everyone. They've seen this before. Somebody thinks they're going to do something. They realize how big of a 
of an institution the Catholic Church is, and then it doesn't go anywhere. And, you know, that finally with the relationship he has with Mark Ruffalo, it becomes a little bit more of a give and take. And these lawyers are both a little bit more, okay, here's how I can help you. Even though it's not necessarily going to help them, it is the right thing to do. You know, and, you know, and like, <laughs> like he said, like uh, Michael, Michael Keaton says to Jamie Sheridan, it's like, you want to be on the right side of this, dude. Like, come on, man. And, you know, because Jamie Sheridan is totally our James Mason in this, you know, back to the verdict again. He's he's our James Mason where you're like, how do you sleep at night, sir? Um, that I don't even, it's, he's like, I did my job. It's like, you should find another job. Okay. This is not something you want to be doing. So these two lawyers are so interesting because, you know, you have the one who seems like the expensive high power lawyer and then the one who has, you know, the office out of the back of his car practically. <laughs> but they, but again, everybody is coming to help with what they can help with because it's the right thing to do. And again, we, another great thing about this movie is we do not have manufactured drama with these two different types of lawyers. You know, you don't have one, you know, they're not all about trying to win the case over the other one or anything. They're, they're working, they're both working on the same side, just with different types of clients and at different times, you know, where he's like, look, I brought this, I brought this to you in the nineties. You didn't do Jack with it. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do for you guys. Um, and hey i have a bunch of clients i don't have time for you i don't have time for you um traumatizing my clients with your questioning these are these are people who have been waiting long enough and even even the the head of the survivor group is, is saying the same thing like this is we're being put through something so much for so little return why should we do this for you and that is again a testament to these journalists is that they make these lawyers understand why this is worth it and why it's worth it to not worry about things like statutes of limitations and and retainers and what their clients can pay and all the other things that we have as manufactured drama with lawyers so in you know in the end again you know you've got one lawyer that doesn't talk one lawyer that seems kind of kind of sleazy and um in it for the the visibility but at the but at the end of the day they both you know, try to help do the right thing. And I think that I, I like that about these two. I, I very much agree with you. And I and I love the fact, you know, there's a big supporter of ethnic minorities that uh, Garabedian brings up his Armenian heritage. I'm like, yes, because that's that's a, yep. a group of people who suffered tremendously. And I think that's a story that should definitely be explored in greater depth when it comes to uh, to, to uh, groups of people suffering under certain powers. So just going to put that out there. And Rachel, what did you make of Garabedian and McLeish? Yeah, McLeish, at first, every encounter that we that we have with him, uh, he very comes he comes off as you know the very high you know high profile high ticket you know very expensive slick lawyer. <clears throat> you know he's in this fancy office and this high rise and really nice suits and 
Yeah, he's like, yeah, speak to my speak to my secretary and blah blah blah. Um, so he comes off very much like, like you know, an asshole to a point, but also he is a victim of the system. But he doesn't he doesn't necessarily come off like he's that upset that the system has his hands tied in certain ways. Um, at least not at first, you know, he, he, he understands, you know, he's, he's kind of like, you know, it's, I just, you know, the statute of limitations, three years. And even then, you know, it's only, <clears throat> you know, they can only get him so much money and blah, 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 blah. Um, which, like I said earlier, the statute of limitations for any sort of sexual assault needs to go right out the window. Um, because it's it's such a traumatizing thing to happen to an individual an adult or child or otherwise and you know sometimes they may not realize that that's what happened especially if they're very young um you know the body sometimes can block those things out and become repressed so they don't even remember it happening um yeah, you know, uh, a lot of times, especially when it with with kids, uh, the perpetrator tends to threaten. Uh, so, uh, which is going to keep the child, you know, from from saying anything for a long time. Um, so, you know, how people react to that sort of trauma should not have a time limit on it. it should not have an expiration date. Um, so um so i think i think that's absolute bullshit um at least as far as criminal charges is concerned like, like you take him to like you know sue him for money and you can do that till the day is long in a lot of cases which is dumb um but I, you know by the time we get to the end of the movie he's more sympathetic to what's going on and does his does his best to contribute without without making uh, doing his best to make sure that there's like no paper trail <laughs> you know? he's like i'll help you but don't tell anybody i helped you um i'm gonna backdate this email like 15 years um <laughs> so um yeah that, that does make him a bit more sympathetic by the the, the time it's over um and then, you know, Stanley Tucci. God, I love Stanley Tucci. Uh, why have we not talked about him enough on this on this show? It's beyond me. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, he's the other side of it where, uh, you know, he's he's not, you know, he's not in a flashy office building. He's in a basement with some seemingly sketchy elevator uh, that may or may not leave you stranded uh you know he's he's got he's got a secretary but he's just he's so dizzy and frazzled that like it seems like he's barely keeping it together um but he obviously is way more sympathetic uh to for the victims uh because he's been working with them for you know a while um and 
Um, it's interesting the fact that, you know, he doesn't really want to give Mark Ruffalo really the time of day until he tells him he's with Spotlight. And then he changes his mind, which I think goes to show just the reputation that Spotlight has. No, if Mark Ruffalo had just been any other reporter, he just would have treated him. And he's probably treated every other reporter that showed up on his doorstep the same way he was treating Mark Ruffalo up until he realized who he was with. And <clears throat> he must, the, the reputation of Spotlight, you know, is is permeated enough through the Boston area that he realizes, you know, this is not just some flash in the pan trying to get a, you know, sensational byline or something. You know, this is somebody that's part of a, a, a group that is going to do the work uh, to 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 get to the truth. Um, you know, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, and um you know being a and you know his knowledge of the legal system um definitely works in their favor you know while while uh you know while uh mcclesh is like oh you know my hands are tied you know everybody signed an nda which that in itself is is also kind of stupid uh when you settle uh during you know if any sort of lawsuit uh if you settle it immediately gets uh tied up by an nda and you just you can't talk about you can't talk about it um so i've i've never sued anybody or been sued but i have been a uh witness in a deposition on on somebody else's behalf in a lawsuit um and yeah the, the fact that the whole thing is like yeah if you settle and the person didn't want to settle because they did not want to have that NDA on top of it. They wanted to be able to speak about it. So, uh, yeah, it's another one of those, you know, legal bullshit things that, uh, that McClesh is all like, oh, darn, my hands are tied. Meanwhile, you know, Stanley Tucci is all like, well, yeah, this stuff is um, under seal, but... Uh, if I file this motion, then some of it, uh, the, some of it that I have on hand would be public, you know, he's like, here's some loopholes <laughs> that I can help you, you know, to help our, our, our mission here. Um, you know, so that, uh, obviously works in, in everybody's, everybody's favor, um, yeah, we'll talk about the ending, but it's a it's a shame that it's like they go through all of us, and then he's right back to helping more victims, recent victims. It's just again by the end of this movie, I didn't know whether to scry to cry or scream or punch something. It's it's so frustrating, but um, I love Stanley Tucci. <laughs> we need more Stanley Tucci on this podcast. We certainly do, and hopefully next year we will have more of him. And uh, Jesse, your thoughts on our two lawyers? So we really do get, in a lot of ways, two extremes. Um, you know, Stanley Tucci's character, uh, Mitchell Garbandian, is fighting the good fight. He is. He doesn't have time for anyone because he has he has given up 
faith that anyone else is going to help him. It is him, his clients against the system, against the legal system, against the church, against society. No one wants this to be explored. There is no upside in their mind for doing this. You can't undo the damage that a young boy or woman, a girl experienced. So, you know, they even talk about that. The good outweighs the bad, right? So he is fighting the good fight. Um, and, you know, he slowly buys in Mike and in, in trust and he continues fighting the good fight. I would say windmills, but I think he's actually making progress. On the other hand, you know, our, our other attorney is in a nice, as we talked about, he's in a nice, um, you know, high rise and a firm. And, you know, he's justified himself that this is, this is, this can't be stopped. There's nothing we can do about it. So at least I'm going to help a little bit, you know, at least I'm going to, uh, you know, get along. Let's get along to go along, right? Let's go along to get along. It just, in, and it's when they, they start investigating this and doing this. And, um, you know, you think about you only get 20K, but you get a third of it. And as Linda and I were watching the film, she goes, well, that's not very much money. I go, no, but if there are hundreds of cases and sadly, there's probably not that much work because they've already got this. They've got the the NDA already thing, the the release, everything. It just we're this is this is I, I'm not trying to make little of this, but there there are we pay convenience fees all the time. I don't want to have to think, do I have Hulu? Do I have Apple TV? I may not watch anything on, you know, um, Disney Plus for a month. But it's not worth canceling it and get it back. I just pay them all so that at any given time, if I want to watch something, I watch it. It's a convenience fee, right? I just it's I pay the um, I pay the shipping. I pay just this is this is a fine. It's just an inconvenience fee to the church. This is just an inconvenience fee. You know, on the grand scope of things, this is we are one of the most powerful, rich, uh, you know establishment organizations in the world and this is just a minor speed bump and we can move on and they're lying to themselves they're lying to themselves that in the long run we are doing more good than the damage we um the i i remember once that and and this is unfair but i'm going to say it anyway that Democrats would rather 99 people who don't deserve help get it to stop that one person who needed help not get it. And Republicans would rather 99% of people who do need help not get it to stop that one person who doesn't deserve it get it. The church is lying to themselves and going, ultimately, we do the good, the right things. We are taking care of this. 
And um, so it's okay. It's it's good. Um, I also think um, one of my phrases that I hate, I hate when someone says, it is what it is. But in this case, that is. It is you can't fight City Hall. You can't fight Vatican City. It is what it is. And yes, I wish I could stop priests from molesting children. I wish I could have the church hold priests accountable. But you know what? I can't. And so therefore, I'm going to quit tilting at windmills. I'm going to do what I have to do just to, to do it. And then as our heroes, Mike and Robbie and Sasha and you know, everyone else, um, I, I want to, you know, the, all of them go through there. Each person kind of wakes up like Jamie Sheridan, who Jim Sullivan, right? This, okay, give me the pin, you know, let me, and just when he circles everyone, like I'm agreeing with you, you've done this. Um, I think, what the other message this film is trying to say, and I, I think it's an overly optimistic one, but it's what I like to believe. If you show people that making the right decision can make a difference, they will. And right, that's where we get at the end, right? They, they start, oh, okay, I can make a difference, then yes, I'm going to. Um, and, you know, what's sad is... Um, Linda, when we watched the film, she made me stop and we looked at every city just, and we were looking for cities that we'd lived in or people we knew. And I had heard that Louisiana was absolutely horrible and there was Lafayette and there was New Orleans and there was Fort Worth. Here was Dallas. It just every city you could imagine. And I did want to just on a side note, you talk about how big the catholic church is like in a town in boston when i moved to lake charles um it was i was a freshman in high school and we had i had never i'd always lived kind of um in a when my dad was stationed in louisiana we were only we were not in deep um south louisiana and I asked my mom one day, I said, why do they have fish every Friday in the cafeteria? And my mom was, well, you know, a lot of Catholics, you have to have fish on Friday. And before Vatican II, now then it's just on Lent. Um, and it was just something like, we weren't a private Catholic school, we were a public high school, but it was fish every Friday because it was that much part of the culture. So to fight that uphill battle, to do that, um, I, I just love the idea that you show these different attorneys. And and one of the other things the film does really well that isn't a specific category, Nick, is the the uphill battle, right? Like at the award ceremonies, at the charities, at this like, hey, this 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 church does a lot of good. We don't want to mess this up. And you guys mentioned it, but that poignant. I what did did you play football? Or no, I, I played baseball. I ran track. I guess we got lucky, didn't we? 
we got lucky that we played the right sport where we wouldn't have been access to that priest. And on a sad but also humorous note, Linda goes, this is what I was trying to protect you from. <laughs> She's pointing to Chris, <laughs> you know, uh, because, you know, it, it's it's scary. It's worried. So, yeah, I, I just love these attorneys. And I agree. You know, Stanley Tucci is amazing at everything he does. Like, um, I just watched him in the menu, you know, and he's just wonderful in that film, even though that's a very odd film. Um, you think about someone who can be that crazy and wild in the Hunger Games and then being this just subtle and such a hardworking attorney. Um, he is just a chameleon as an actor. You took the words right out of my mouth there, Jesse. Stanley very much is a chameleon when it comes to, to his acting skills indeed. And yeah, I guess when it comes to, to our two attorneys, Garabedian is very much that dedicated and relentless legal advocate for survivors. And he is very much portrayed as that compassionate and determined lawyer who is deeply committed to seeking justice for his clients. And I think his unwavering support for survivors is a driving force in the movie. I mean, he confronts the powerful Catholic church head on, often taking on cases that many other lawyers would not. And his willingness to take legal action against the church and expose the cover-up is a pivotal aspect of the film's narrative. And I guess despite facing significant obstacles and threats, Garabedian's tenacity and determination in pursuing justice for the survivors is a central theme of his character. I mean, he very much believes in the importance of bringing these cases to light, even when it seems like an uphill battle, like you were saying, Jesse. And his collaboration with the investigative journalists of the Spotlight team is, of course, crucial to the success of the investigation. Because, of course, he shares the important documents and the information that help our journalists uncover the extent of the abuse and cover up within the church. When it comes to McLeish, he is very much portrayed as that skilled and experienced attorney who understands the legal complexities of the cases involving the church. And his knowledge of the legal system is crucial in helping survivors navigate the legal process. Though, of course, like you guys mentioned, he's not without controversy. I mean, while he is dedicated to helping survivors, he is also shown to be involved in settlement negotiations, which do, does raise ethical questions about whether these negotiations can truly bring justice to our survivors. So he does add that element of moral ambiguity to the film. And while he does represent the survivors, his involvement in the settlements and negotiations with the church very much blurs the lines between seeking justice and achieving financial compensation. So I guess, like Garabedian, McLeish collaborates with the Spotlight team, sharing the valuable information and the documents, but, and his collaboration is instrumental in building that comprehensive case against the church. So I guess you have two very dedicated professionals who are deeply committed to advocating for the survivors of sexual abuse. They navigate the complex legal and ethical challenges, and uh, I think very much exemplify that important role that legal advocates play in seeking justice and accountability for survivals of abuse, as well as the difficult decisions they must make to achieve these goals. 
and actually uh, had the opportunity to talk to uh, my best friend, who is a, a lawyer himself, and <clears throat> get his perspective when it came to these characters. So let's get to how our movie ended. As they are about to go to print, Robbie admits that he learned during the investigation that he was sent a list of 20 sexually abusive priests by McLeish in 93, on which Robbie never followed up. Baron still commends Robbie and the Spotlight team's effort to expose the crimes. Now, the story goes to print with a web link to the documents that expose laws in action and a phone number for victims of abusive priests. The next morning, the team is inundated with calls from victims coming forward to tell their stories. And we get that textual epilogue that notes that Law resigned in December 2002 and was eventually promoted to the Basilica di Santa Maria in Rome and then presents a list of 105 U.S. communities and 101 others around the world where major scandals involving abuse by priests have sadly taken place. So, Rachel, starting with you, what did you make of our ending? Kind of makes me want to hurl. <laughs> like I said, it's like it's so good that the 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 spotlight team in the process of writing this story and doing all this work, they realize that at the end there's still the victims. And instead of just like, you know, if you've been a victim contact your local i don't know some sort of type of attorney or something instead of pointing them somewhere else they said come to us call us and we will help you figure out what you need to do um and yeah, just the fact that their phones are just absolutely ringing out off the hook. Like I said, that that end text, I think a, a thousand victims at least, or something like that, just in the Boston area. Um, you know, a couple hundred, a couple hundred priests at least. And it's like, you know, I mean, Boston's a decent sized city, but still, that's just a lot. That is just absolutely a lot. Um. And then, you know, when, like, you know, when they were talking to that one person about the, you know, the numbers and, you know, they're like, does that, does that seem right to you for scale? And, you know, he was like, no, it's going to be more. And it's like, you take that and you scale it to just the United States. That's just, it, it, it makes my heart hurt. It makes my stomach churn to, to think that there have been so many children you know and those children can range from very young to teenagers but they're still children and you know to be taken advantage of like that and how many we may never know of because um you know like like stanley Tucci said after mark ruffalo interviewed that that one guy and he was like yeah, he's one of the lucky ones he's still here to be able to tell a story, it's like, how many do we not know about because it became too much for them and they have, you know, they either purposely took their own lives or, you know, the the the, the trauma became too much and maybe they turned to drugs or alcohol and maybe accidentally unalived themselves because, you know, because of that. 
you know, we will just, we'll never know. And that's just, it's so heartbreaking. Um, and like I said, the fact that, you know, they're, you know, they're all kind of patting themselves on the back. You know, they, they printed the story and they're getting all this response from readers and people calling in. And, you know, we see with Stanley Tucci that he's going right back to it with new victims. You know, it's like, yeah, they just, they, they just uh, came in last week to let me know what had happened to them. It's like, ugh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not... <laughs> it's not something that's going to change overnight and not even in the you know eight years since this movie was released um uh, has a whole lot changed or in the almost 20 years since it takes place you know uh not a whole lot is has changed in fact it's seemingly gotten worse because it's like it started yeah you know, it's yeah you know, my memory of history is not the best but you know it's like yeah the catholic church and then the boy scouts and then hollywood with the me too movement and it's like you know the gymnastics scandal uh you know the collegiate uh what's his face at penn state you know um it's like it's it's uh, you know yeah, just because I don't want children doesn't mean I dislike children. Um, and uh, the fact that any person would want to to harm a child like that, um, I just again, it's it's yeah. To quote the Princess Bride, it's inconceivable. It's right up there with the the you know when we talked about Twelve Years a Slave. Like I can't wrap right, you know wrap my mind around the fact that somebody sees. A fellow human being is like you know what i'm gonna subjugate you to my whims you know this is the, the, the same idea where someone is in a position of power and then they abuse that power i just i can't fathom that i could never see myself doing something like that to you know a fellow human being i just can't i can't comprehend it um so yeah it it's it, oh it's one of those bittersweet endings where it's like, you know, they, they, they accomplish what they set out to accomplish, but really you've just opened Pandora's box. It is very much the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this story. And I mean, I was furious when I read about Cardinal Law being promoted to the Basilica di Santa Maria Maggiore here in Rome. I was like, it's like Why? you bad, 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 bad man. How would you like to go to the motherland? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like, <laughs> come on over, your brother. We're right here for you. So yeah, it just infuriated me so much. And then adding to what you mentioned, the various scandals that have come out of late. Sadly, also me being an avid hockey fan, also the news that broke out about the Chicago Blackhawks and everything that was going on when it came to that situation was absolutely disgusting, but it's, it's horrible. Just, just, I guess, you know, really you learn to feel so bad about the world when it comes to all these horrible things coming to light. And Jesse, what did you make of our ending? So unlike, you know, a, a sports movie that's based on a true fact, you can't end on that high note, like, Hey, they won the championship or, Oh, this person went on to be this great, leader or something um the reality is this continued to happen 
and it does continue to happen. Um, I feel that um, I think the church is trying to do better in this, but it is it is an uphill battle uh, because there is there is such a built in um, bias of support to you know a priest is someone's you know it he is god's advocate in the catholic church and there is a shortage of priests um so therefore you're like okay do we take bad seats and not you know can we afford this um and and i think there's a lot of things they could do to improve and that's not what this podcast is about but i i believe starting out with uh you know letting married women married men women be priests i mean there's other things that you could do that the catholic church isn't going to do anytime soon because they're too stuck in their ways um i think it is the right note of they are similar to schindler's list right where i could have done more i could have done more and but the idea and i think the the head of the paper right life life shavers character is right we did it now you can't go back there's not a time machine to go back and do this sooner so you you did what we need to do and i think we're going to make a difference uh to our readers and to the people and um i think you know they're trying to just have a follow-up we're going to do a follow-up story so let's have a few people call and all of a sudden when you see the phones just going that you know they've just hit the tip of the iceberg and um there is so much pain and so much suffering out there that continues to this day and um in and you know as they cover this is this is not something you like if you've if you've been molested if you've been raped if you know this is not something you want to go forward to because you you know that often you're going to be they're going to victim blame you and so it's really hard um you know i when the movie's over and i said god that was good and then it's like really like well the movie was good the subject wasn't good the subject was very sad and disturbing but that was a well executed entertaining story it may be a horrible subject line but it's going back to dope sick dope sick was a brilliant mini series even though it was a horrible subject and that uh we did so yeah well done i i just love the ending and i i hope that this film does give a few people maybe the courage to talk about it and share things they were feeling and maybe you know make a difference well i guess then director tom mccarthy if you're listening even jesse jackson approves of your movie which is a definitely a great endorsement so that said zan what did you make of our ending yeah this is this is a very bittersweet ending because it ex you know it, first of all as with all true stories it ends the way it ends um and unfortunately it ends with a spiral, you know, that we start in Boston and we spiral out. And this is a huge, huge problem that has been going on for 
centuries <laughs> and being covered up and just is is a terrible 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 thing and <clears throat> there's also something bittersweet about watching all the papers go out because you know i remember how people were stopping to read the paper in 2000 2001 and so you're like oh i hope as many people read that as those papers are going out like you know i hope the right people see it and it goes to where it needs to go and then the the postscript of the movie reminded me 2000 yeah 2002 2002 super bowl you too played the 2002 super bowl and it was unbelievably powerful they played mlk i believe and behind them, it was just a scroll, like this it seemingly never-ending scroll of victims of 9-11. Just just name after name after name. And it's on YouTube. I I, I you know I highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen that Super Bowl halftime show to watch that part because Chris and I are not football fans, so we watched <laughs> my dad used to text me when it was halftime at the Super Bowl. Like if there was somebody that I wanted to see like you two or Prince, he'd be like, all right, it's halftime. Cause I, that way I didn't have to watch the whole game <laughs> to see the halftime show. So we turned it on for halftime. And then both of us within like a minute, we're just sobbing. We're just, just not, not sobbing, but just sort of silently just buckets of tears streaming down our faces. And that's what the end of this movie felt like. And I kept thinking, when are these lists of towns going to stop? Like there were so many, like it's like, it's like five screens of four columns of towns. It's, it's insane how far reaching this is and how, and the, the, the depth of this cover up, the depth of this cruelty that's been going on for so long, just, just wrecks you at the end of this movie like you're you're happy that you know yes you know we we find it and then and then when you see like the victims were closer to a thousand and just you know i want to keep that number in mind a thousand and the amount of town of cities where they found that abuse was going on and being covered up just there were dozens dozens of that they that they listed and as happy as you are that they got this story out and people started talking about it and there's a real there's a real distrust these days of you know allowing your children to be alone within the catholic church as obviously there should be um there shouldn't be you shouldn't be worried about sending your child to school or church but here it is um like rachel was saying it is it is nearly 100% more safe to leave your child alone with a drag queen than it is a catholic priest and the fact that that all got out is is wonderful but at the same time the the depth of the of the issue you just sort of feel that to your core like oh my god look at all these towns look at all these cities think about all these people you know if you're thinking you know if you're thinking a thousand victims within this diocese um that's a thousand victims in every single one of these towns as well <laughs> over the years. And you're thinking that you, you just can't, you, your brain can do that math, but 
your soul can barely comprehend what that actually means. And then when you think about how no one is calling the paper to complain about the fact that they ran the story, like the, like the, the paper is getting these phone, like, I don't know, this is the easiest overtime I've ever done. I sent some of my people downstairs to help out, but nobody's calling up here. And then downstairs, it is never ending phone calls of victims calling in just the amount of, of people that have been affected by this and have been victims. It's unconscionable. It's, it's absolutely unconscionable. And that really does show you the power of faith. You know, faith is eternal and the church is an institution and you have to keep the two separate because that's like most everything. When human beings get involved, it gets all screwed up, you know, and, you know, say what you want to about Catholicism. That's a completely different thing than the Catholic church and the people involved. Because when you start involving human beings, things get all screwed up. So, yeah, the ending the ending of this movie was incredibly, incredibly powerful. And even though, you know, it, it is sort of that all the president's men ending, it's like, okay, we have, you know, we have the typewriter telling us that, you know, Nixon went down. Okay, that's all well and good. But, man, that sucks that this happened. You know, it's like, and then, again, Cardinal Law gets sent out of Boston to to Rome like that's like that's not the ultimate promotion for somebody in the Catholic Church. Now it's Rome's problem. Like come on. It's yeah, it the ending is wonderful because it reminds you that this isn't over and it's also so incredibly powerful to see the 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 amount and the and how far this problem reaches from, you know, you know you're seeing like, you know, American cities, South American you're seeing cities all over the world where this has been happening. And you know, and Zan, I'm sorry. I just wanted to comment. You're, you're, this is a systematic issue in the church, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They, they are something about this is finding people like this to become priests, you know, that, that the church would need to work on. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not involved in the inner circle, right? But you are rewarded to go to Rome. I mean, you, yes. you know, you, you talk about um, the Peter principle, right? Where you keep getting promoted till you're ultimately um, inefficient and not worthy. But this is, I mean, there is no stigma and there's no consequences for the actions. Um, and I, I just wanted to stress that too. I just, the, the, scariness of we've just hit just the tip of the iceberg you're exactly right this is a systematic problem where like i said this has been going on for centuries you know sexual abuse in the church has been going on for centuries we know that when we've dug up church you know convent graveyards that have infants in them we we know this and like you said jesse there is a system in place to keep this quote unquote in the family, you know, keep it, keep it at home. And, you know, what's one poor fatherless skid row kid to the amount of good that the church is doing for the, for the town or for the rest of the parish or something like that, that sacrificial mindset and that mindset of you just need to pray harder on this. If you pray harder on this, then these feelings will go away. You'll stop doing these things. And 
And, oh, if it's not working here, maybe it will work in this other town. Maybe, maybe a change of scenery will make you more penitent. I don't even, you know, I don't, like you said, I'm not an inner circle. I don't know what the mentality is. That's the same thought process that's used for like all sorts of grifts and scams that they don't want to actually fix the underlying issue. They want to keep it going because the people at the top are getting something out of it. Like that's exactly Exactly. things that are told to, to mostly women that are in like multi-level marketing. Like you just need to work harder. You need to change your mindset. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, the, the, that, that MLM with vitamins or Lululemon or Mm -hmm. any of those. It's, you know, do you want to be your own boss? Not if it means doing this. No, I don't. Yeah. And so there's, (laughs) this yeah this is a system that has been polluted by humans and so i think i think the end of this movie is is really powerful and jesse i love that you guys paused and read the cities because you i mean there's you have to there's so many you have to you have to pause and look at it and be like oh my god this is this is a global global problem and again how you know, and, and abuse, sexual abuse specifically, but abuse of all kinds, is is generationally reaching. It it poisons families for generations and poisons people for generations. And what is this doing to, you know, the the families of the abused? And you know, like you're saying, these are the ones who are still around. Like, you know, how many how many people actively committed suicide or drank themselves to death or what have you trying to deal with this deal with this situation just the 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 far-reaching cost in human life and human dignity is is unconscionable and the end of this movie really hammers that home i think it very much does and i think it also provides a sense of resolution like guy said as the spotlight team does publish their explosive expose on the cover-up of the child sexual abuse within the church and think this of course marks a significant moment in the film as the truth is finally revealed to the public and accountability is demanded from the church and its officials whether they'll get it or not that's a whole uh, ball of wax the publication i think of the story is very much that testament to the power of investigative journalism and it's ability to expose long-standing abuses and it also touches on the impact of the investigation on survivors of abuse i mean the film does portray the survivors coming forward and sharing their stories as a result of the newspaper's reporting and it highlights i think the importance of giving a voice to the victims and the role the media plays in empowering them to seek justice and yeah when we get that scene where of course our team is inundated with the phone calls It very much, I think, underscores the ethical dilemma faced by the media regarding when and how to report such sensitive stories. And it does raise the question of how to balance the need for exposing the truth with the potential harm to the survivors and their privacy. Also, of course, our closing scenes of the film, I think, convey that the work of investigative journalism doesn't end with one groundbreaking story. I mean, it alludes to the ongoing nature of the problem and the need for continued vigilance to hold institutions accountable and protect the innocent and the vulnerable. And I think it very much serves as a reminder that the fight for justice is never over and the issues raised are far from resolved. And we, of course, when we get that list of the cities and the places around the world, 
you very much get the idea of how far reaching an impact the Boston Globe's investigation had, and it inspired other journalists to pursue similar stories and bring the issue to a global stage. So I would say we get a poignant and impactful conclusion to a film that explores the vital role of investigative journalism in exposing institutional wrongdoing. And it also highlights the importance of accountability or the ethical dilemmas faced by journalists, the empowerment of survivors, and of course, the awareness that the fight for justice and truth is an ongoing endeavor. So I think it very much leaves us with that deep sense of significance of the media's role in shedding light on hidden justices and the responsibility of society to address them and uh, definitely uh, kudos to everybody who worked on this movie so let's get if we were the academy segment of course this movie did win the best picture during the 88th academy awards held at the dolby theater in los angeles on february the 28th of 2016 your host for the night was chris rock and presenting the award for best picture was morgan freeman this film was running up against seven other movies the big short bridge of spies Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. And I will also add, this was the year that the Oscars So White hashtag, created by April Rain, gained wide attention in the media a month prior to this edition of the Academy Awards. It had first appeared the previous year, but only this time around did it make a splash. And in fact, Chris Rock, the host, made sure to mention this during the course of this edition of the Awards. So, Jesse, starting with you, did the right movie win this year? Uh, yes, I'm going to say I think the right one, though um, I, when the Oscars originally happened, I was pulling for um, The Martian because I had I had read the book a little bit after it had come out. You know, there was a lot of noise about this this book that had been released free and then they kind of put it on released on a you know ebook and then it ended up a traditional publisher and it was just such a great book and then when i watched the film it did such a great job of translating a book i loved into a film that i was really pulling for this um but after have now seen most of them, I haven't seen all of them, but um, I love Bridge of Spies. I, I think that's a really, really well done uh, book. And but I think this is in this in the spirit of all the president's men, um, other things about it. So, yes, I think that while all of them are good, as you always is always the case during the Academy Awards, I would have picked this one as I, I think they got it right. Well said. And uh, Zan, do you think the right movie won? This is this is a tough one because this this is one of those years where I feel like we need an Oscar that's some sort of I not like an honorary Oscar, but some sort of special recognition for relevance. And you know, uh for social and or humanitarian relevance because i think this is this is one of those um i love that it won best screenplay so because like you know i always say that that is the that is like the kid brother to the uh 
best picture oscar like if you're not going to win best picture winning best screenplay is like pretty close to being there um this is well written well directed well performed extremely relevant extremely necessary extremely far-reaching you know it it, it, it it and it's so respectful of its of its subject matter like i said it doesn't it doesn't create drama where drama is not necessary um but do i think it's the best picture of the year no i don't um there's a list there's a list of good things this year um i don't know i uh Sarsha Ronan, as much as I love her, Brooklyn, it's fine. It, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it wasn't one of my favorite things. Um, the best movie this year was Fury Road, in my opinion. I think that was the, I think that was the year's best picture. Um, Jesse, like you, I I adored The Martian. I thought The Martian was. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Uh, Chris and I, um, Chris and I met met each other in a science fiction book group and so we've talked a lot before about when science fiction is too sciencey it gets kind of boring because it's almost like the writer wants to show you how much he knows about science but he doesn't know quite how to tell a story he just knows how to talk about the science and i think this movie perfectly teaches you about the science of what it would be like to be a marooned botanist on Mars and have to science the shit out of your own survival. It it still tells a captivating story while still being very scientifically well thought out. Um, and I, I think Matt Damon does a fantastic job in that as well. Um, being from Ohio and if you don't know who ariel castro is um google him or google amanda berry um that was a room situation where somebody was uh i believe amanda berry had was kidnapped and was held captive for 10 years and had a child by her captor um so there was part of me that was really rooting for room and i was really happy that brie larson won best actress for that i kind of wish i know he was very very young but i think jacob tremblay could have been up for a supporting actor role in that for for that one um he's a he's a wonderful actor and if you haven't seen his episode of jordan peele's uh twilight zone i highly recommend it <laughs> um the you know, the, the, the Revenant was just kind of a fascinating story. You know, Bridge of Spies is very good. Big Short, again, kind of a kind of a story that people need to understand as to what happened and how there was just... The only thing I can describe the, the housing issue, the housing bubble burst in the United States at that time was mass hysteria, mania. Like, I don't care if someone tells you well, look, this is what your payment is. You can afford this much house. These are smart people. Why are they not realizing that that payment doesn't include things like uh, electricity, internet, grocery, water bill, uh, clothing? You know, it, that's like all of their money is going to their house. Of course, they're not going to be able to pay it. Um, flexible interest rates. No, it, like these. this makes like, how did we even buy into this as a as a as a country of consumers it doesn't make any sense and this movie kind of helps you figure that kind of thing out but like i've said before 
I feel like a best picture needs to do something really special with filmmaking. And I think Fury Road did something incredibly special with filmmaking and you know as as relevant and as necessary as Spotlight is. Mad Max Fury Road is in my list of top 5 most necessary pieces of feminist filmmaking in the history of film. Um it doesn't seem like it when you think about it, but when you think about, you know, it's a Mad Max movie. Um, but it is quintessential feminist filmmaking. Um, it, the the way the women come together, the way the women figure out who deserves their friendship and who deserves their pity, the way they care for each other when they realize that their dreams are gone you know all you know all of those all of those things makes it quintessential feminist film and it is by far the best sequel to a movie to or even any any sort of franchise i love aliens i love terminator 2 i love empire strikes back this is the best sequel that has ever been made to any movie in my opinion so you know as as much as the rest of these movies are as, as good as the rest of these movies are and as relevant and as necessary as spotlight is um when it comes to filmmaking i would have given this i would have given this to a uh, fury road well uh, great points there san i'm sure then you're waiting with bated breath for the next mad max movie which they they say it's going to come out furiosa obviously. yeah exactly yeah. And, I, but just I, here's the thing nick i will yeah. wait as long as I have to, because SAG deserves what they need. I'm you know, right there SAG, deserves, SAG deserves what they're asking for. And if that means I have to wait 17 years for this movie, I'll do it. I'm right there with you. I think as consumers, we can allow ourselves, of course, to be, of course, uh, you know, uh, patient when you know, the folks making these movies you know, should get what they, what they deserve for sure. I, I, I'm right there with you, Zan. And Rachel, do you think the right movie won? Yes, uh, absolutely. This the the this story is too important, um, and it still is, unfortunately. Um, you know, we don't get we get a lot of seem to get a lot of movies that that try to to capture this unnameable thing that movies like this and all the president's men have or 12 angry men where it's just a lot of people talking and not a whole lot of action, you know, good night and good luck. Um, and, um, yeah, this is, again, this is one of those movies where I want to go all clockwork orange with certain people. I just want to strap them in a chair and pry their eyeballs, you know, eyelids open and, you know, show, this handful of movies over and over and over again till it gets the point across uh hopefully uh so um that being said i did on my notes i did put a thing you know and it's like nominee yes winner yes but i did put a tiny little star because if this movie had not existed this year i would give it to the martian <laughs> 
So if Spotlight did not exist, I would absolutely give it to The Martian. I love The Martian. I love the book. I sat, I read the book in like one day because um, I could just not put it down. It is so well written and they adapted it so well um, for for the screen. I think Matt Damon does an app. You know, he carries this film on his shoulders, you know, uh, being alone a good chunk of the time. Um, and he's the sole focus because it's like, how is this guy going to survive until somebody comes and rescues him? Um, so no offense to Leonardo DiCaprio, but yeah, I would have given best actor to Matt Damon. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, Spotlight just did not play not exist. I would give it to the Martian, but because it does, sorry, Matt Damon, you're going to have to go back to cultivating potatoes. Well, well put. And actually, speaking of uh, Leo, there's actually more on him later when it comes to when it comes to our feedback. Uh, when it comes to me, let me start out by singling out the weakest link to me in this chain of movies, The Big Short. Now, I am sorry. I know that a lot of people love this movie. And I did appreciate Adam McKay using fun and unconventional ways of explaining high finance to incredibly financially ignorant people like myself. But I was glad once this movie was over, as I was partly incredibly bored by this movie, not to mention overwhelmed by all the financial jargon employed. I had barely a clue of what the heck was going on. I mean, appreciate the effort in educating us, but I was completely lost. I was with Ultron. Finance is weird. I mean, on the other hand, I absolutely loved Bridge of Spies. As while The Big Short completely lost me, I was 100% invested in this highly compelling Spielberg film. And hey, it's Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance, so you know it's going to be good. And speaking of Mark Rylance, his would it help catchphrase worked so well in a humorous but also heart-wrenching way as well. I was blown away also at how much I enjoyed Brooklyn. I mean, Saoirse Ronan turns in a splendid performance. And as the movie chugged along, I kept telling myself, okay, the story is too happy. And I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop, knowing what the Academy usually nominates. But it is an excellent take on the American dream on behalf of John Crowley. And what can one say about Mad Max Fury Road? It's big. It's bombastic. It's one whirlwind of a film to the point where you are heading into the shower by the end of it to get rid of the sand and the blood you've been spattered with throughout. But yes, I would call it very much a steampunker's wet dream for sure. And so I'm a huge fan of steampunk, so I love this film. I did not expect myself to like The Martian, as Space and I have an odd relationship. But like Steven Spielberg, it's Ridley Scott. And as soon as the title showing up in very alien fashion, I told myself, I have a feeling I'm going to like this. And while it does go on possibly a little long, it makes for a great story. Though I think Leo should have won Best Picture, well, Best Actor way before we got to The Revenant. But speaking of blood and gore, The Revenant is also an incredibly visceral film. And in this case, I was glued to the screen all the way through. As like Zan, this is not only a story of survival in the wilderness, but also a tale of revenge. And like her, I love revenge stories. And this one was so well shot. And finally, Room, another incredibly gut-wrenching and powerful movie. I mean, I know a lot of folks are not fans of Brie Larson, 
but she totally earned her gold statue for her performance in this film. And I agree with you, Zan. Young Jacob Tremblay did a stellar job as well, though it did end possibly the only way it could. I did find myself wanting more. And in all honesty, I would possibly give in Best Picture, <coughs> best picture to Room. But, I, but like Rachel, I feel the story Spotlight tells is so incredibly important and unfortunately is still really very relevant. So I am totally down with uh, with spotlight winning but i might have given it to room and uh, just to add another extra thing there zan you mentioned about that story which is similar to room in ohio the big story over here in europe which i have a feeling might have inspired that was the Josef fritzel story in austria where of course uh, this horrible man kept his uh, daughter imprisoned in the basement and literally had children with her. it was it was absolutely horrible and i'm so glad that now she's out and she's free and he's in prison but it was horrendous when that when that when that's a story broke out. So let's then get to ratings. Zan, what do you give Spotlight out of ten? Um, this one gets a, a a solid nine for me. I think it when it comes to journalist journalistic dramas, I think it's up there with all of the best ones. And like I said, it tells a very very necessary story, and you can't ask for anything with the acting. You can't, there, there's, I have, there's no issues I have with the acting and I, I don't really have any issues with the writing either. You know, personally, I think, you know, by the time he might've known the cab driver and he said, just keep my, you know, keep my wallet. I'll be back with money. Um, there's ways to get around not having cash for a cab driver, <laughs> but yeah, this doesn't want for anything. It doesn't create unnecessary drama. It's dramatic. It knows it's dramatic enough. The actors are fantastic. You know, it's, this is a, you know, we're in an era now where we're being reminded that Michael Keaton is freaking amazing. Um, and yeah, it, it's, and as difficult of a subject it is, it's not terribly difficult to watch because you are so enthralled by the dedication of everybody. Yeah. So this one gets a nine for me. It's really wonderful. Great stuff. Rachel, what do you score this one? Yeah, I'm giving this one a nine as well. It's it's so good. It's so well written. It's so well cast. So well acted. Like you know, it probably the only thing that would well, I don't even know if it'd be better, but it'd certainly make it interesting. Is if the script had been written by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> this is everything in this type of movie that I love. Yeah, like I was, I was saying before, all the presidents men and good night and good luck. Yeah, you know, this I don't know what it is, but I like it. <laughs> so yeah, I need I need more movies like this. Please send me recommendations. Well, uh, we'll definitely be sure to do that. And listeners, be sure to of course uh, email us uh, when it comes to recommendations as well, and we'll be telling you how to do that shortly. And uh, Jesse, what do you give this one? Yeah, I, I'm right there with everyone else. This is such a lovely film. Um, a very handled, a distasteful topic, very well done. Um, it it's so great to see Michael Keaton on the screen and and being just awesome. So I'm gonna give this nine out of ten leftover pizzas. There, see, it's all about the pizzas. As I said yes. before, when where where do you get where do you get a pizza when you want one? Especially over here, you don't have late night takeout, so I'm kind of I'm kind of screwed in that in that department. 
Um, but it, it seems like it's unanimous because I'm also going to give this nine out of ten. It's a very important movie. It's very, very well done, very well executed, well directed, and has some of my favorite actors in it. So what's not to love about this film? And, uh, and as I mentioned before, it's still so relevant. So uh, kudos to everybody once again. Nine out of ten for me. So this week, our virtual mailbag has a couple of electronic letters from you, our wonderful listeners, starting with uh, Shalane. Rachel, I believe you've got that one. I'm such an old person. <laughs> electronic letters. <laughs> uh, I, had to, I had to go with the classics. I know. Uh, all right. Shalane says, hey, friends, 2014 was the first time I decided to enjoy the Oscars. It was mostly the best animated and best OG songs. Now it is the best picture I get into most because of this podcast. Haha, <laughs> we converted her. Anyway, I always wanted to know what movie theaters play movies. Like Birdman and everything everywhere all at once. My guess is AMC movie theaters. I go to Megaplex and they don't have those kinds of movies playing there. Probably. That's that's probably the the case if you especially if you live in a slightly smaller town. Uh they're probably gonna go with the bigger popcorn blockbuster movies, you know, your mo- your MCU and your Star Wars and stuff. My favorite movies of 2014 are Big Hero 6, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America Winter Soldier, How to Trade Your Dragon 2, the Lego movie. It's awesome. End of the Woods, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Divergent, and Muppets Most Wanted. I think 2014 was a weird year for movies, but we had good ones. Going back to animation, How to Train Your Dragon 2 won at the Golden Globes, and the Big Hero 6 won at the Oscars, so sometimes the movies that win a Golden Globe don't win an Oscar. I also think Everything is Awesome should have won Best OG Song. I was kind of sad the Lego movie didn't get nominated. The last thing I forgot to mention was another movie you can watch based on Shakespeare is The Lion King. It is based in, on Hamlet, and she is correct in that regard. Indeed. So, folks, if you don't want to slog through Shakespeare, you can watch such masterpieces as The Lion King. And I, I love that movie to death. It always makes me cry, but it's a fa- fabulous movie. <laughs> Mufasa, Trauma! Mufasa, why? But anyway, yep. <laughs> while we, 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 we uh, reminisce over, over poor Mufasa, we also have some feedback from loyal listener and supporter Aaron. Zan, I believe you've got that one. Um, I do have this one, and I'm going to go ahead and just tell Aaron right off that I am going to read his entire letter because I think it's incredibly necessary for everyone to hear it. Um, his subject is the church is an institution. My faith is is in the eternal. I try to separate the two. Hello, gold standard hosts. I wasn't planning to include a quotation in my subject line because, like 12 years a slave, I thought it would be disrespectful, but the paraphrase I chose I think is powerfully important. I obviously agree. Having said that, please forgive my mini essay here. I think it is a very important movie, and with my upbringing, I have a bit to say. However, if some or all of this message turns into something that you'd rather not include, I completely understand if any or all of it is omitted. Again, I agree with you. I think this movie is important, and I think what you have to say is important because I, as we're, you know, I, 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 Reminded everybody about the numbers we talked about at the end of this movie, and it's because of Aaron's email. I want everyone to think about that. Spotlight is an important film and one that just barely falls short of being my choice for best picture. Again, I agree. It means something to me because I grew up in a highly religious environment, attending a Catholic school for many years and becoming a disappointment to certain members of my family when I eventually stopped following, quote, the teachings, unquote. 
I won't go on a religious rant, but I will say that having spent my entire childhood being told that the church is not to be questioned, there is a certain sense of relief that this movie has helped break down that blind trust. I have a certain amount of respect for people who can place their faith and future in a higher being, but I have trouble following an organization that defends awful practices by citing arbitrary biblical interpretations. This can be from the racism you discussed in your 12 Years a Slave episode to the constant discrimination for the LGBTQ plus community or here in covering up sexual abuse. Now, as for my parents, they won't watch the movie. My mother has said she doesn't think she can handle the subject matter, but my father refuses because he doesn't like Hollywood blaming the institution for what, quote, only a few priests, unquote, did nor do we need to be reminded of it. No no shade against your father, Aaron, but we're talking a thousand in one city, and then we're talking hundreds of other cities. So I'm not quite sure where he's getting his math. In his mind, it happened, but it's in the past and we need to move on. I very much disagree with this sentiment. I disagree with, with that as well, Aaron, and I apologize that you have this issue with your parents, that you, you have this disagreement. That's difficult when this happens in families. It also hit a little too close to home because one of the priests at their church was accused. This priest is one I had previously spent a lot of time with, both in school and as an altar server. And while I was supervised at the accusation, oh, at, I'm sorry, while I was surprised at the accusation, there were things I remember him saying and doing that always made me and other students uncomfortable around him. Out of curiosity, I just looked him up and it appears that no charges were filed due to the statute of limitations. So he was merely forced into an early retirement. That's kind of what happened at my school, which was a public school. So that's, that's, that's a difficult pill. For all of these reasons, I don't get to talk about this movie often, if ever. This is perhaps why I'm so curious to hear your thoughts and feelings, as well as share my own, as difficult as they may be to talk about. And yes, these are difficult, and Aaron, we very much appreciate you taking the time to give us your feedback, and so much of it as well. As for the movie itself, there's just something about journalism movies that I love, much like my legal dramas. So many movies put the emphasis on setting up the ending, but journalism movies show us just how equally important the journey can be. Um, I want to stop there on that sentence because that I think that is such an eloquent and succinct way of describing what is great about journalism movies. That the you know as as important as endings are, the journey is also a really big deal. We like our characters already know the answer, but watching how this team of reporters fought to uncover and prove their story is immensely compelling. I know there's some dramatic license taken, but from what I've been reading, roughly 79% of the film is accurate, and most of the added story was information that came to light after their article was written, reincorporated into the story. The acting is phenomenal. Fresh off his Oscar nomination for Birdman, Keaton eases back and gives an emotional performance about trying not to succumb to emotion. The two standouts are, unsurprisingly, the nominated Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams. Ruffalo, in one of his best performances, is sadly robbed of his Oscar, while McAdams gives her all in most other years would be my winner. So, after all this admiration and praise for the Best Picture winner, why is it only my runner-up? My pick is The Big Short. 
The movie managed to do something I didn't think was possible, taking the housing market crash and presenting the story in such a way that someone like me can understand. Typically, movies like this assume that only people in the audience are there, are, are those who already know the ins and outs of the business, flexing proper terms and phrases. But writer-director Adam McKay understands that not all casual moviegoers are going to understand the industry jargon. He also respects the audience and doesn't opt to dumb it down, instead bringing in cameos to explain these important factors in layman's terms. And despite the infuriating story being told, it manages to be funny. If anyone would have told me years ago that the man who gave us Anchorman would go on to make something as intelligent as the big short, I would have laughed at them. I mean, I enjoy Anchorman, but comparing the two, I'm sure you understand. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with my message and take care, Aaron. Aaron and I agree like most of the time. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty wonderful. And again, mm -hmm. it's a wonderfully eloquent and succinct way of describing when the journey is extremely important. It's not just a build up to the end. It's the, it's the whole story. Aaron, definitely a fantastic, fantastic email. As always, I really appreciate writing in as we do appreciate Shalane writing in. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, we have some feedback from our friend and fellow podcaster, Frank Mendoza of the Mendoza! <laughs> there it is frank you heard it and of course you yeah, of the silver screeners podcast be sure to check out silver screeners for it's like break cheers break. he's norm walking in the door <laughs> i love that and uh, frank writes in and says i saw this in the theaters when it first came out as someone raised strictly Catholic in the Boston area, I was begrudgingly an altar boy. I wore the white robe. I rang the bell during the transubstantiation. I lit the candles and I ate the cookie. Thankfully, I never experienced anything untoward as depicted in the film. My grade 12 pre-calculus teacher was a priest, yep, Catholic high school, who left the school and the priesthood shortly after I graduated. Turns out he was on the list of the accused, which was not, and still is not a surprise, he ended up taking his own life. So I went into this film with 96,000 pounds of preconceived notions. The story is told with the editing, the acting, the pacing, the good taste was impeccable. I was thrilled when it won over The Revenant, which was two hours of listening to Leo whisper and wheeze and scowl and call that acting. So I guess where uh, Frank's not a big fan of Leo's in this, in this case, I'm attaching a screenshot of my Facebook post from that night, which says it all. And folks, you can't see it, but basically it was Frank predicting that spotlight would win. And right he was. P.S. I highly recommend a Netflix miniseries documentary called The Keepers from 2016. It's disturbing with survivors of rape and assault telling their stories and not holding back. Viewer discretion is advised, but it's too effing good to miss. I will say I've started watching it, Frank, and it is, it is very disturbing, but once again, a very important story to tell. So I will also recommend, like you have, The Keepers, folks. Definitely check it out if you want to, of course, find out more about these horrible, horrible things that, that have happened when it comes to abuse and the church and what have you. 
So, of course, folks, if you want to be like the cool kids on the playground, the Shalane, Aaron and Frank, and share your thoughts on the films we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. Once again, that email is goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. Feel free to follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, where you can find us as Oscars Gold, or on Facebook, where you can find us as Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We love hearing from you guys, and we appreciate the follow and the support. Also, if you'd like to hear us discuss your favorite Oscar nominee or a film that you feel deserved to be part of the Golden Conversation, you can join our wonderful family of patrons on Patreon and check out the great tiers we have going on there. You also get to unlock our reviews of such films as The Hitcher, the OG Star Wars trilogy, Singing in the Rain, and many, many more. This month, we'll actually be taking on the Steven Soderbergh film Traffic, our first Soderbergh movie. So, of course, to rejoin our Golden Army, head on over to patreon.com slash goldstandardoscars, and a big thank you to our wonderful patrons for their support. Furthermore, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate and review us, as that keeps that old algorithm happy and stimulated, and allows this podcast of ours to reach more like-minded cinephile ears like yours. And a big thank you to those who have, and a big future thank you to those who will. So, uh, Jesse, when you're not here gracing us with your presence in the Gold Standard Theatre, where can folks find your work and what you do on the interwebs? Well, I am on the Twitter, a.k.a. X, at Jesse Jackson DFW. Um, I, Nick joins us sometimes when we are talking Doctor Who on Next Stop Everywhere. Uh, we just got our schedule planned for the remaining of the year with all the new Doctor Who specials. And so Charles and I are very excited about talking that. Um, I am talking Babylon 5 with a couple of my friends on Last Best Hope for Conversation. They have never seen Babylon 5. I've seen every episode of Babylon 5, and we're going through every episode at one time. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, My perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt, alphabetically where we are talking the singer-songwriter John Hyatt, every song in alphabetical order. We're on the Ds, so we've got a way to go. And last but not least, Set Lusting Bruce, where I have talked to hundreds, if not thousands, of music fans from around the world discussing their favorite music, not just Bruce Springsteen. So would love for anyone to check out all of them. And if you want to talk music, send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. And hey, we'll work on getting you on the show. Fantastic stuff. And hey, Jesse, next time that the boss does come to Italy, be a great excuse for you to come over and we can hang out. Absolutely. I agree. (laughs) There you go. And uh, Zan, where can folks find you? People can find me and our friend Charles Skaggs. Uh, hopefully starting up again tomorrow on Drunk Cinema, the uh, podcast where we watch our favorite movies over our favorite adult beverages and record that for posterity and your entertainment. Um, it is we've missed a lot of spooky season um, because it's been a long and very difficult month, uh, but we are going to be doing uh, John Carpenter's classic 1978 Halloween. So that should be fun. And if you want to find me on social media, your best bets would be Instagram or TikTok, where my handle is Udenax19. Fabulous, fabulous stuff indeed. And Rachel, where can folks find you? You can find me with the Five-ish Fangirls podcast, where a weekly 
pop culture and entertainment podcast where we talk about all sorts of geeky and nerdy topics from the female perspective because fangirls are real fans too we found pretty much wherever you find podcasts and at the fiveishfangirls.com where you can connect with all our various social media accounts, my personal ones as well, along with information about our nonprofit fangirls give back and uh, just a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The holiday season is coming. So, you know, if you're going to be shopping on Amazon anyway, you know, just saying we've got wish lists that are linked on the website. Just saying. Well, I, I, I highly endorse that, folks. You definitely know what to do when, when shopping for your holidays on Amazon when it comes to Five-ish Fangirls, indeed. And uh, when it comes to myself, you can find me in my day job uh, hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between from Alabama to Zach Brown. And for more information and where to can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you fans of those superhero movies, like the MCU movies, for example, you can find myself, Keith Bliss, and assorted guest co-hosts on Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We're reviewing every single superhero movie under the sun. Super excited that we'll soon, soon, in inverted commas, be able to, to review the Marvels, uh, the latest MCU movie. But in the meantime, we'll be taking on Werewolf by Night in Color, which I actually will probably be watching tomorrow. And speaking of the MCU, last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone podcast, where we're currently reviewing the second season of Loki, and uh, quite a season it's turning out to be. And speedings to come on this show, next time we'll be discussing the 2016 Barry Jenkins film, Moonlight. So uh, first off, uh, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today uh, on behalf of myself. And I hope I can speak also for Rachel and Zan. It was a joy to have you on. And we definitely look forward to having you return to the Gold Standard Theatre soon. It mm -hmm. is always a joy to talk movies with the three of you. You are three of my favorite people. And this was a blast. So thank you so much for having me and being so kind. Oh, well, you're just one of those awesome people, Jesse, that we love talking to. So, uh, so it's always, always Open a joy. invite, man. Open invite. Mm -hmm. There you go. See you go. You, you heard it. You heard it from Rachel and Zan as well. So, uh, speaking of the two of you, uh, Zan and Rachel, any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to add on either our next movie or anything else before we sign off? Uh, let's keep uh, Faye Dunaway away from us, or else we're going to get totally off track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep any at all envelope, important envelopes away from Faye Dunaway. Away and... from Faye Dunaway. Yep. Yeah. I guess ironically, <laughs> one could say instead of another day of sun, moonlight one. So it was a night, not the day that was. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There you have it. Well, folks, like I'm sure you probably know what we're all talking about, but to find out more, you'll have to go tune in next time. And as always, thanks as always for listening, showing, supporting us. We will see you then with Moonlight. Until then, enjoy those movies. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Keep that popcorn hot. Ciao, my people.